To the quarter to three movie podcast for The Gunman. My name is Tom Chick, and to discuss The Gunman, I've brought along Christian McCoskey. Uh, I'd prefer to be called Christian German Shepherd. And with our Gunman tagline, we have Kelly Wand. Uh, not exactly a funman. <laughs> wow, really, Kelly? Okay. I got to back up. I gotta back yeah, up. yeah. Let, let's say that that one was rejected by the studio, and they were like, Kelly Wand, we need a different tagline for the gunman. What else do you got? Talking slowed. Wait, what? Instead of lock and load. Okay. Um, Wait, I have a backup. Yeah, yeah. What else do you got? More like the dumbman. Can I try a tagline? Is that allowed? Would that be, would that be out of line? <sighs> I have... I... Yeah. Yeah, that would be out of line, or yeah, I can try one. Mm, I'm not happy enough with any of mine to deny you your dream. Okay, ready? Mm-hmm. African sniper. Wait, that's a good... See, that's actually a really good title, unfortunately. Oh, it is. so it's too good. Like, a tagline has to be, like... It can't be a title. It has to be not as good as a title. Fair enough. Okay. I was thinking, though, because every – remember how I was saying, like, every movie that has American in the title is a hit. I was thinking it's not true of African, but then it's like African Queen was a hit. Was was The American with George Clooney a hit? Mm, it was a hit in the movie. It was a contract hit. How about, how about African American Sniper? Mm, Dingus, don't play the race card. <sighs> Why does he always go there? Why can't this just be a nice podcast about film? I think it's time to have, uh, speaking of film, to have an IMDb plot synopsis read to us. And Kelly Wand, I think you're the man to do it. I have a choice. that I don't know if you guys have seen this movie. It's a little obscure. Mm-hmm. Dingus might have heard of it. Tom, definitely not. It is just another day at the National Aeronautics and Space Administration, parentheses, NASA. <laughs> Normally you say the acronym and then in parentheses you put what it stands for. I like that. That's backwards. I'm reading it as it's written. I'm not... No, I understand. That's good. It's not my job to... Yeah, you're not here to correct these, Kelly Wand. You just take them as they come. Right. Right. Yeah, I'm just the messenger. Right. That also applies to things I write. I'm not to blame for that either. A few astronauts were repairing a satellite until out of nowhere... Oh! You narrowed it down. I I think... Wait, what... You're doing one of a Criterion Collection movie, is that correct? I'm not going to deny that. Okay, okay, go on. It was a hit the size of Texas, say that. <laughs> I'll say. Let me start all over. Yeah, You're yeah. not that smart. Right. And Dingus didn't get it, let's note that. Fair enough. It is just another day at the National Aeronautics and Space Administration, parentheses NASA, Comma, a few astronauts were repair. It's already the tense has changed. A few astronauts were repairing a satellite until, out of nowhere, a series of asteroids came crashing into the shuttle, destroying it. These asteroids also decimated New York soon thereafter. Then, NASA discovered that there is an asteroid roughly the size of Texas heading towards the Earth. And when it does hit the Earth, the planet itself and all of its inhabitants will be obliterated. Worse... The asteroid will hit the Earth in 18 days. <laughs> worse. <laughs> worse. <laughs> That's worse is when it's going to happen. 
I love that. I really like it. It's not tomorrow. It's in 18 days. Even worse, it's in 18. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Unfortunately, NASA's plan, unfortunately, to bring the house down, NASA's plans to destroy the asteroid are irrelevant. That is when the U.S. military decides to use a nuclear warhead to blow the asteroid to pieces. Then scientists decide to blow the asteroid with the warhead inside the asteroid itself. The only man to do it is an oil driller named Harry Stamper and his group of misfit drillers and geologists. As he and his drill team prepare for space excavation, the asteroid is still heading towards the Earth when? That was my skull on the microphone there at the end instead of an ellipsis. Wait, it ends right there? Yeah, I doesn't want to give shit away. That's it awesome. ends on the word when? You can't talk about that movie without saying the phrase the size of Texas, though. I also think it's hard to talk about that movie without mentioning the world's best deep core drillers. They're not just drillers. Yeah, yeah. you got to say world's best deep core drillers. That's their segment. That's their tagline. Which one was a geologist, according to the? Well, I think that, that oh, I wondered Wilson? about that as well. Like, I, I guess one of them might have been like a scientist. Like, isn't isn't Steve Will Buscemi Patton? supposed to be super brilliant? I think Steve Buscemi is like the, the scientist killer. one. That's Wait, Con Air. That's Con Air. Yeah. Actually, no, he's a child molester in Con Air. Fickner's not a scientist. He's just well, the Fickner's bomb. A, no, 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 no. an army dude. No, well, no, no. He's a he's a NASA pilot, isn't he? Oh no, Dingus, you might be right. I think he's a NASA pilot. Fickner's. Oh, right. Along well, with he, this, he becomes the badass, like, like pointing guns at everybody. Well, he's right. Uh, he, he, yeah, well, he's the one who's sort of going to enforce the NASA mandate. Uh-huh. Um, but you might be right, Dingus. He might be military. And then, of course, there's that beautiful woman whose name escapes me because she was in nothing else. Uh, who was also a pilot in Armageddon. Um, and she was like the female counterpart to Fickner. Oh, man. Wait, she is really side. hot. Why doesn't... We've talked about this before. Where did she go? I know. See, it's my contention that it's really easy to sit back and say, oh, Armageddon sucked. But as soon as you talk about certain things about it with people, then they will concede that, you know what? Armageddon rocked and deserved a Criterion Collection edition. It had a hot girl in it, like every Michael Bay movie, and therefore... It's it's unique. Kelly Wan, it had it had William Fickner in it. Rocked, get it? Uh, Drive Angry had him. A lot of bad movies have him. Drive Angry is not a bad movie. How dare you? Mm. Who, who else is in Drive Angry, Kelly Wan? Amber. Keep going. Oh, wait. You know what? I'm confusing, oh, wait. It, with, I'm confusing it with Drive. I'm confusing it with the, uh, the one with... Uh, with uh, Roddy Gosling? No, the one with uh, Dwayne Johnson and Billy Bob Thornton. What's that one? Oh, Faster. Oh. Faster. No, that's Nicolas Cage. Which one is Nicolas Cage and William That's Drive Angry. That's Drive Angry. Uh, Drive Angry. Right, yeah. Chasing the Sunshine Band. Frankly, I'm just waiting for a time when Hollywood gives us a Drive Angry and Faster mashup. That's what we really need. Drive Faster. There you go. It it titles itself, doesn't it? They just draw. I've noticed movies with vehicular plots don't have any plots. Like the more. Like well, all the hell movies, not true driving. at all. That's not even true. Yeah, Kelly, well, what, how do you account for the Herbie movies? Yeah, uh, yeah let's go. Uh, let's talk some uh, gunmen. So this week we saw. <laughs> I was actually going to describe it as something, but I would like Dingus to do that. Dingus, why don't you tell the folks what we saw this week without spoiling it? Because apparently, going by its opening weekend, a lot of people haven't seen it yet. All right. Well, this week we saw the Gunman. A 2015 American action thriller crime drama movie 
about a guy who is into Africa, then out of Africa, then into Africa again, then out of Africa again. It was directed by Pierre Morel and written by Dan McPherson, Pete Travis, and Sean Penn, based on the novel The Prone Gunman by <laughs> by Jean-Patrick Manchette. It stars Sean Penn, Ray Winstone, Mark Rylance, and Jasmine Trinka. The Gunman is rated R for strong violence, language, and some sexuality. Mm. You can't have two sums in the same rating. It's language. You can. Uh, The Gunman opened at number four and made $5 million. Oh, my gosh. Five. It was a four. It made five million dollars. It was like budgeted at forty. What the? F- wow. So basically, this gives all those people like at Variety to write headlines like you know, gunman misfires. Yeah. Uh, things like blanks. That. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right. Uh, Although blanks are zeros. If it had a lot of zeros, it would have made a lot of money. Yeah, well, you know what? Uh, it could also be a critical success. Let, let's check on that real quick, shall we? Sleeper. Uh, on Metacritic, which is the average rating from various reviews, gunman is at thirty-nine out of a hundred. Yeah. On Rotten on Rotten Tomatoes, thirteen percent of the reviews of Gunman are positive. <laughs> There's always a three or a divisible of three. Also, Kelly Wan, there is always a synopsis, and I have been looking forward to this ever since about ten minutes into the Gunman. <laughs> <laughs> so, Kelly Wan, could you break down for us a plot synopsis of the Gunman, and perhaps give us a Gunmopsis? Uh, that's a good guess. Okay. That actually is. But it's not. Uh, see, I've... it's close. What is it actually that you're going to see? When you talk? give a good guess, I feel bad when I kind of went long. But it's the Ganip Ganonopsis. Wow, I like that a lot. Wow, Ganip Ganonopsis. That right there, Kelly Wand, is already far more interesting than anything I saw in the movie. I think that's a palindrome. That's what I do. Very good. And yeah, I do think it is a palindrome. Oh, I thought Dingus said a palate cleanser. Because I was chattering. Now, Kelly Wand, this is going to be the main event. This is the main course. Kelly Wand, why don't you lay it out for us like a buffet? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Tom. The Ganip Ganumnopsis. A newscaster's all. And in geography news, the Conga's even lamer than normal, with some experts even saying six months. But for how long? Barbara? Another newscaster's all, uh, my name's Curtis. The inaction shifts to a refugee hospital. Crackle. Some words are all, the conga, possibly the present day. I lean over to Madonna sitting beside me and whisper, This is the theater I saw Chappie at. I don't know it yet, but there will be other similarities. Hang on, I'm going to adjust my skull and my headphone. Just stand by. Perfect. Shirtless Sean Penn runs past a gate in some mud carrying a surfboard. One of the guards in the guard shack's all, Hey, Spicoli. (laughs) He finds a girlfriend who's also his nurse. She's wrapping a bandage around a sitting guy's head. She's all, Just try to keep it elevated. Sorry, I'm adjusting it. As she removes her hands, the skull slides off and rolls away across the floor. She starts to go after it, but Sean grabs her arm. He's all, Dolores, stop. You've done enough for these people already. 
She's all. <laughs> That's how he talks. In Bugsy. Wait, what's the one where he's the gangster? Dick Tracy? Uh, no, wasn't it that, uh, that LA crime period piece with Muriel Enos and Josh Brolin that we saw? Oh, shoot, what was that? Bugsy Malone. Gangster Squad? Yeah, wasn't he the villain in Gangster Squad? Oh, yeah, right. Yeah. I knew I'd seen it. Yeah. <clears throat> She's all, but his head, my people, their freedom must. He's all, Dolores, no. You need to start thinking about yourself. But there aren't going to be any floors for the heads to roll across. Is that the world you want to live on? Tom? I just love how there's a touch of Woody Allen in your Sean Penn. <laughs> there's a touch of Woody Allen in all my... I've been looking forward to this because I've just been thinking about three days to kill. And... Okay, keep going. Sorry. He kisses her while their platonic friend Raul Julia watches and goes, Ugh. <laughs> You didn't think I knew who he was, did you, Tom? <laughs> Sidebar, why I'll miss America. My ATM card stopped working. My job's writing stuff that pieces of light would say, but since my English skills are only recognized by those who can't speak it, long story short, I gotta buy passage on a tin can over the North Pole. When I explain all this to the bank teller, he goes, Oh, uh, yeah, swipe your card, please. Again? Okay, your card's not working, so you have to talk to somebody here with a desk. A hot teller chirps. I have one. I go to her desk. She's all, did you work today? I'm all, no. She's all, I know, right? Swipe your card, please. Again? Okay, your card's not working. Not sure why, but it doesn't matter. We'll just give you a new one. Here you go. Wow, it only took one click. She stares at her screen in wonder. I'm all, awesome, where's the card? She's all, oh, it'll arrive in seven to ten business days. Maybe two weeks. But don't worry, you can just use cash till then. I'm all, what about a temporary card? Because plane ticket, she's all, yeah, that would be kind of a hassle since I'd have to cancel the card number. I'm all, for the card that's not working? She's all, yeah. I'm all, so the new card will have the same number? She's all, of course not. Is there anything else? She looks at her screen again. One click. All it took. I'm all, yeah, do you guys sell bullets? See, it ties back into the gunman. That night, Sean Penn finds a van containing Raul Julia and their boss, who's Tom Noonan. There's also a guy driving, I'm assuming is their pal. Sean rummages around in a pile of laundry till he finds someone's gun. He cocks it, then replaces it and goes, what's the sit rep? Over. <laughs> His boss is all, uh... Sean Penzol, R40, Intel check out, and we coveted guns hot like a Christmas turkey on life support. Raul Julia's all, I think he's asking what we're doing. Tom Noonan's all, all missions, this mining inspector is going to be in a tribute to motorcades tomorrow night. But you have to leave the country afterwards and not say goodbye to any Sheilas you haven't sex with. That's the way Cox wants it. Sean Penzol, who's this Cox? He takes a toothpick out of his mouth and chews on nothing. They stare at him. Tom Noonan's all, uh, I think I'm Cox. It's my character's name. They both look at Raul Julia. Right? A typewriter hunt and peck some subtitles at the bottom of the screen that say in parentheses, The Conga Knight. Sean Penn sitting in an apartment window with a rifle staring through its scope in an approaching convoy of black limos. He raises his watch, squeezes a button on the side with his thumb, and whispers... Bogey's uh, entering visual status. Car ones. I think 
two or three of them. It's hard for me to count this time of night. Plus, it's dark. Tom Noonan's all. Copy that, Sean. Also, please speak into your headset. Like Kelly. Your watch doesn't do anything. Is your gun loaded? Sean Penzel. Hey, God. Tom Noonan's all. Sean? Sean Penzel. What? The gun? Oh, yeah. Hang on. Stand by to copy. He looks inside his gun and shuts it. He's all, yeah. Tom Noonan's all, yeah, it's loaded. Sean Penn's all, hang on. No. Could you load it? Hang on. With uh, bullets. Uh, base to HQ, please repeat. Tom Noonan's all, Sean, you need to put bullets in your gun and quit fucking around. The convoy's coming. Do you see them? Sean Penn's all, hang on. <laughs> Just got to press them really hard. Oh. Uh, <laughs> hang on. So dub deep doop doop. He raises a microscope and looks through the window. Then he's all Nah, mission abort. Wait, here they come. Wow, an actual motorcade. One click. It's like we're living in the future. Tom Noonan's all. The mining inspector should be in the third car back. Sean Penn raises the rifle, squints, and fires. The car explodes. He's all, fuck yeah, target down. Later, Dolores. Repeat, target down, something Dolores. Wait, hang on. <laughs> Shit, things are getting really crazy in the streets down there. Now the cops are shining a spotlight on me. It's all right, officers, I'm uninjured. Uh, I'm now waving my gun at them and shooting it at them to verify to their medics that my arm and fingers are intact. Although it would be nice to get a second opinion, actually. Tom Noonan's all... Sean, did you just say target down? Our mission was to guard the diplomat from snipers. You knew that, right? Sean, are you there? Over. Some words are all. For eight years, nothing happens. Then a sinister jeep pulls up to a construction site, and some angry black guys with AKs spring out. One's all. We had reports of a white man digging a well. Cough him up, or we'll ask again. Sean Penn sticks his head up out of the well and goes, Tell them I'm not here. They shoot at his head while he hides behind a tractor and yells, I said, tell them I'm not here. <laughs> he tricks one of the black guys by kicking him and another by having his friend shoot him. The rest walk off screen. Sean makes his friend fist bump him. He's all, you did the right thing, Eugene, shooting this asshole in the back. I won't entirely forget this. At least I hope I don't. My headaches have been pretty bad lately. Anyway, good luck with digging the well. I have some serious exposition gathering to do. Sean claps him on the back and trots off. Eugene's all, I was aiming at you. Sean Pedd gets on a plane to somewhere because he thinks better surrounded by symbolic clouds. <laughs> he studies his notes and goes, hmm, white man, white man. I wonder if they were referring to me. I was the only one within a thousand miles, but maybe they thought it was less. A toilet flushes. Bay Ling emerges, lights a match, and sits down next to Sean. She's all, I enjoyed you very much in Shanghai Surprise! <laughs> I have really? so missed her. I've missed Bay Ling. Thank you, Kelly Wan. How does that, how does that even enter this? What the? It just belongs. Words? It, it belongs there, Dingus. It does not. How do you, how did you wedge that in here? Ugh. Weirdos. You don't see it? What are those two words on your notepad say? Maybe if I say them aloud, it will get your juices flowing. Something Sean, Spanish. Sean Penzel. 
I doubt even someone of your celebrated vocal rate could help me with this brain teaser, Ms. Ling. You're for some crazy foreign land like the Philippines, and I'm just a, uh, not sure how to put this terminology someone of your exotic heritage could understand. Do your people have a term for Caucasian male? Nah, forget it. Our cultures are just too divisive. Thank you, though. Just raise your notepad. I feel an overwhelming compulsion to say words written on your pad. <laughs> you still miss her? <laughs> yes, it's awesome, Gillyborn. Bailey, please, I'm trying to concentrate here. Our countries could even be at war for all I know. I get all my news from Green Hornet. Sean earplugs in, then studies his notepad in silence. He taps it with his pencil a few times, then adds the words other stuff, followed by a question mark. After his plane land, Sean goes to see Tom Noonan and Ray Winstone to find out if they know of anyone who fits the description on his notepad, but they're both useless, so he goes to a seminar that Raul Julia is giving at the bottom of an escalator. Raul Julia's all, And that is why, ladies and gentlemen, the solution to solving all of our problems in the Congo comes down to one thing, and one thing only. Sean pushes his way to the forefront of the crowd and words, Interruptions! With the Sean Penn, uh, uh, I was going to say circumference, but could I have a word with you for a few minutes? Uh, I'm kind of in the middle of something. In fact, it's these seminars on the humanitarian crisis that, in some way, make up for your horrors wrought by your assassinating the mine. Excuse me, ladies and gentlemen. Could I have a few moments in private? He tiptoes over to Sean. Nobody cares. Raul Julia corners Sean by a wall and goes, I know why you're here to steal Dolores from me. Well, guess what? She says I'm the second best sex she's ever had. <laughs> Sean's all, uh, you're still wearing your microphone. Speaking of which, some black guys tried to shoot me. Since the last thing I did was eight years ago, I figured it probably has to do with that or not. Wow, neither of us look eight years older at all, huh? Look, I'll make you a deal. Go away! He stops back to his lectern and goes, uh, So anyway, uh, I guess I was done talking, actually. Thank you for coming. Sean Penn watches from a distance, chewing his toothpick umbrella till it opens. <laughs> then he takes out his notepad. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, wait, did I fuck part? Oh, never mind. Please tell me there was a dick joke earlier in the microphone part. Then he takes out his notepad, crosses out the words white man, and scribbles the word lectern, then some exclamation points composed of hearts. That night, Sean Penn uses his marksmanship prowess to steal a blazer that makes his hair shiny from an unguarded outdoor coat vendor, then finds a restaurant with Raul Julia and Dolores eating in it. Raul Julia's all, And that's why Dolores, the key to our problems in the Congo is, Mind if I stand nearby? Sean! I think his name should be Cock McCock Blocker, Esquire. <laughs> Honey, did you see what I did there? The words I used. This seat taken? Yes, I, I'm sitting in it. At least take the empty one over there. But Sean's already on his lap. He looks at Dolores. She's all, you never said goodbye to me. That's the most important part of a conversation. That's how they sound. It's a long story. I left. It's like the Moidians. And for some reason, didn't have your contact info. When I got to your apartment, all I found was the sniper rifle in your bedroom window and that photograph of the mining inspector with the red X through it and pictures of me in your bedstand. I kept them all just so I could have some things to remember you by. 
Yes. They go to his apartment and have sex while Raul Julia waits at the car out front and goes, <laughs> at least I have the memory of these last eight wonderful years. While Sean Penn and the girl talk in bed about their lives, I wander out to the lobby and stand at the concession counter. The two teenagers behind the counter look at me for a bit. Then one of them says to his friend, so what kind of music do you like? The friends all. I like Zydeco. The first friends all what? The second friends all Zydeco. The first one's all, oh, I thought you said zygote. The other one's all, no, a zygote's something inside you. The first one looks at me and goes, can I help you with anything? I go, you just did, and return to the auditorium. <laughs> Unfortunately, it's the same one. Sean Penn's in a payphone at a beach somewhere talking to Tom Noonan. He's all, okay, you may have killed my good friend or enemy, Raul Julia, because he raised his head by a window on purpose to deliberately get shot because he was trying to make some kind of point. But I'm going to be a little trickier to deal with. I think you'll find Tom Noonan's all. Well, Mr. Penn, I'm in a very important meeting right now with stockholders and military attache cases, okay? Sean Penn's all. I ask the questions, or you won't get what you want. That's not a question. I'll be the one who defines what the word question means. Uh, won't I? Ha! See? Turn it into a question. One of these days, Penn, maybe even eight years down the line, you're going to rue the McClanahan. I have the files about the conga, and if you ever want to skip them again, you'll come down to the pier and let me strong up you for several minutes. Ha, it must be pretty annoying to have the likes of me being one step ahead of you at every step. By the way, I'm standing right behind you. Oh. Uh, hang on, let me find my notes. Sean starts digging around in his pockets. A British lady's all. Tom Noonan, is that you? Sean punches her in the face. Nice try, Noonan. Nobody would recognize you ahead of me. Tom Noonan's all. Sean, that was Helen Mirren. What's wrong with you? But Sean's already dragging him into a sewer. He throws Tom Noonan down some stairs and goes, All right, Noonan, I want answers. He throws up. He's all, Sorry, I have a headache. Tom Noonan points at the vomit and goes, I think you're getting head stomach mixed up. But I still don't understand why you brought me down here in this. His eyes widen as he has an epiphany. Unless you wanted to know the plot of the movie. Sean Penn slumps to the floor and goes, I'm not feeling so well. Can you not kill or kidnap Ray Winstone and Dolores till I wake up? He blinks. Tom Noonan's gone. Fuck! All right, I got this. He opens his phone and types, Tom Noonan is coming to kill you, then hits send. Then he's all cool. There we go. His phone beeps. It's a text from Tom Noonan. It says, ha ha, you just sent that to me. Fuck! <laughs> <laughs> he falls asleep. When he wakes up, his phone's ringing again, and now he's in some garbage cans. He picks it up. Hello, Sean. I have your love interest in Dolores, both down here in a warehouse. <laughs> <laughs> do as I say or I'll kill them both. He shoots Windstone. Wait, tell me what to do before you shoot them. Oh, uh, right. Uh, sorry. I'm trying to do too many things at once here. Give me the launch codes for the conga or I'll kill the girl one. Put the girl one on. Dolores, are you okay? Uh, well, better than Ray... Winstone is now. Okay, no more bullshit. Oh, wait, that's Tom Noonan, sorry. <clears throat> okay, no more bullshit. You have five minutes to decide. Uh, so, should I call you back in five minutes? <laughs> Stay on the line. Hey, you won't do this. Never! Sean Penn hangs up. He paces for a bit inside the garbage can. Uh, what would Hemsworth have done in Black Hat? <laughs> <laughs> Wait a minute. He said, okay, no more bullshit. 
That's it. He's at a bullfight. Sean Penn goes to Spain <laughs> and tricks Tom Noonan. <laughs> the same way Mrs. Brody tricks the shark into getting impaled by her bowsprit and also <laughs> for getting there to bullfight. Oh, something's coming at me. <laughs> Reaction takes. A newspaper's all bull declared savior of humanitarian crisis. Some more of the words type, New Conga, uh, later. Dolores is bandaging heads in a thatched hut infirmary, but hearing a car park a quarter mile away, she turns around to look, smiling expectantly. Sean gets out. As they're trying to decide what to say, the credits scroll. Kelly Warren, you managed to do something that Pierre Morel was unable to achieve, and that's making me glad that I saw the gunman. Yeah, Are you really glad, though? Now I am, um, yeah, definitely. Yeah, like a lot of those jokes, I loved your your Sean Penn, and and those uh, a lot of those jokes about the movie were spot on, and I was just That's so bored of this thing. Like, I mean, there, there's really no, I don't, I, I'll be curious to hear what you guys think, but there, I, there, there's pretty much nothing in this movie worth enduring. I mean, it's no. just such a, it's such a flat, morose, non-event of a movie that. Uh, I mean, I've, I've seriously been eager to, to hear you make fun of it, so thank you. I hated the characters. I hated the action. I hated how, just like American Sniper, he's supposed to be a gunman, and it's in the title of the movie, but he spends a lot of time fighting and knife fighting and fucking doing something dumb, investigating shit. Hmm. Uh, yep. So, you know what, though, Kelly? One thing is might have liked it. So, before we... Before we no, I'll bet you... Well, let's find out. Dingus, why don't you uh, break down for us your opinion of The Gunman, starring Sean Penn? Oh, God, I hated this thing. It's terrible. It's not likable. Uh, and I, and I, all I kept thinking, uh, and I like that Kelly Wan just mentioned that thing about American Sniper, because all I kept thinking is, uh, okay, I understand um, it, it's not about a guy who actually, we're going to actually get to see, shoot anything, or, or be a gunman, but he's he's the gunman who he's the guy who shoots the dude so we have to follow him and i kept wondering well was the, was the original title of this the shooter but they couldn't call it that because there's so many other things called the shooter but then it's from a novel called the prone gunman <laughs> which i think gives so many more ideas of of things that could have happened the prone gunman and i wonder if they just dropped all of that shit well, I so my theory about what's going on here and what they're trying to do. Pierre Morel, we know from uh, uh, District B19 and the first Taken, which, if I am correctly interpreting sounds I heard coming from your room, Dingus, you watched again this week. Oh yeah, I did, and uh, and I have some I have some choice words for Mr. Pierre Morel. Oh, interesting. Well, go, go ahead. I, well, I just wanted to say I think what they're trying to do here is is. Um, capitalize on what we're seeing with Liam Neeson's career, where Liam Neeson uh, has become uh, the, the, this older action hero. Like, like he's, he's making a name for himself as uh, a guy who's cruising through these, ve- these action vehicles that would normally be the domain of younger guys. Like we have uh, uh, Stallone and Schwarzenegger. Uh, who else in those stupid Expendable movies? Um, Kellen Lutz. Kellen Lutz, but we have we have uh, those expendable movies trying to basically. Oh, that's right. We have Red with Bruce Willis and everybody. Right, right. They're digging up these older action heroes and they're making vehicles for them, and they they tend to be tanking for the most part. But for yeah. whatever reason, Liam Neeson is bucking that trend. Um, even though not all of them do well, 
but but he's created this second career for himself as an old action star. And and so I, my guess is that's what they were trying to do for Sean Penn with this movie. And one oh, of the questions right. I have for you guys uh, is why does that work for Liam Neeson but not for Sean Penn? But before we get to that, so Dingus, you watched Taken. You have some choice words for the director of Taken and uh, the gunman. What are those choice words? My, my choice words for him is what the fuck is up with drugging women? Um, he, he seems to have this fetish. Uh, and and I guess it's just this infantile, and, and this is something that we talked about with Luke Besson when we t- when we saw Three Days to Kill. Um, this this male power fantasy of saving a woman who's been drugged and raped, or drugged and is about to be raped, and um, that is that is shot through in Taken. That is clearly, and I had to watch just to, just because it's on Netflix in, instant. I watched District B thirteen. The same thing happens there. Sister is is captured. She's held for years on end. Obviously, raped and drugged beyond recognition. Um, and then in the, in this movie, we get we get her taken drugged. So, you know, the only movie where this doesn't actually happen, where where a woman is actually has a little bit of power, is this terrible movie from Paris with love uh, of his. Um, but otherwise, it seems like per- Pierre Morel just wants to. Uh, Get women, have them drugged, have them be victims, and have some male power fantasy of of running around and saving them. And I I just think I, I find that so abhorrent. And at this point, I mean, come on, grow the fuck up. I mean, at this at this point, is is Sean Penn? Sean Penn, honestly, can you not figure out something better to do with your time? And and can you not figure out a way to to have an actually empowered, interesting female character other than this poor woman who's basically sold herself into marriage in order to pay a debt? What the fuck? I mean, I I, I hear what you're saying, Dingus, and if this movie had any substance to it, I would join your uh, your, your sense of outrage, but I, I can't muster any, any sort too of... Vapid. I mean, it's too vapid. Like, there's so many problems with this movie. The fact that it's just another damsel in distress. I couldn't care less that this movie doesn't have a strong female character because there's nothing in this movie that that I like or care about. I mean, I hear what you're saying, and you're definitely right. That is a weird through line, isn't it? You know, that and a bullfight is like a that's sort of like a. Cruise. It's just well, disgusting it, is, to me that his constant through line is I'm going to drug a woman, have her in distress, have her be raped or threat of rape, and somebody saves her, and that's all he can do. Right, right. No, I don't know that. I, I think it's just a trope. You know, the, the helpless. Yeah, woman, you're right. And what what he's doing to make sure that she's helpless is he's drugging her. It's sort of like in, in doesn't work though. In the olden days, and this is so weird for me to see in a movie. You could, like, sock a woman in the face to knock her out so she won't struggle when you're saving her. Like, I'm aghast when I see that in a movie. That is so weird when somebody, like, slaps or punches a woman to knock her out so he can then carry her out of the burning building or whatever. Um, so it seems like a, a modern take on that is you can't you can't knock a woman unconscious to save her, so you drug her. Well, he also punches the other chick, but she's an enemy. Oh, that was kind of so funny, actually. That was show. actually kind of funny. Yeah. yeah, but that, that, that again, uh, I I don't know that Pierre Morel has any idea what to do with female characters, uh, and so Dingus, you're absolutely right. But you know, I, well, women are tough. Well, Michael Mann will tell you. Uh, I, I just, I, I mean, the movie's just so inconsequential on so many levels. Uh, is is there? Let me put it this way: Is there anything competent about the movie? Not, not even confident. Is there anything that you liked? Uh, we, we like to do this with movies we don't like. Is there anything that salvages the experience of seeing this? 
Wow, nothing. Um, wait, 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 wait. There was one thing where a guy shoots someone because he sees where the hand is. Like when uh, – no, it's Javier Bardot when he gets shot through the head. Isn't it because the guy he gives away his hand and then the guy knows where? Yeah, he he holds up his champagne glass and he shoots him through the books. I mean, it's a little a little long distance kind of sniper action. Kelly, yeah, but just give away his head. Okay, it uses his hand to to see where his head's at, kind of like in that Jeremy Renner Bourne movie. Okay, Dingus, do you have anything? Kelly Wan appreciated the, uh, the procedural aspect of, of snipers. Uh, yeah. yeah, that was good. That was fascinating. Okay. Uh, you know, I, I like a little bit of the lingo. Um, uh, you know, I like that some of that sniper lingo at the beginning. I, I liked the uh, the fifty cc's thing because uh, I didn't understand why he was collecting those vials from that. Oh yeah, movie. yeah. And I like that that there's actually a payoff for that where he's like. Uh, they needed 50 cc's for proof of kill. So did and, you did you get that before? Because I actually was proud of myself. I got that before he even said it. Oh no, I had I had no idea. Oh, I thought there was some weird medical thing. You got that? Yeah, yeah. I was like, they they need DNA evidence that it's him. Yeah, and I was like, that's kind of a cool touch. Is that yeah. he goes through the guy's pockets and finds a, a blood sir, and finds a syringe for blood withdrawal, and and grabs it, and it's significant. And I was like, I bet. You know, I bet he, he's knowing that someone wants DNA proof that he's dead. It, it's sort of the modern medical forensic equivalent of bring me his head. Uh, yeah, yeah, okay, that makes sense. So, yeah, that's, um, I'm with you there, Dingus. That was yeah. kind of a cool touch. I, I like the I like the vest moment where he, he kills the guy in the uh, wine cellar, strips the vest off him, puts it on himself in this sort of, like, version of the um, – when the oxygen masks drop down, uh, if if the airplane loses cabin pressure, put it on yourself instead of on your kid first. And he puts the he puts the vest on himself, and then he keeps her behind him. You know, in that idea of like, if, if I'm alive, then I can protect her, rather than this this the idea of like, well, let me put it on her and then run around and shoot people. I, I loved, I li- I kind of liked that idea. I, I liked that bathroom scene and the wet towels and all. I thought that was a good set piece. Uh, it was fine. Um, but I, you know, by and large, I, I, I have to agree with you, Tom. I, I don't think that Sean Penn is, is weirdly, uh, uh, fit and roided up, he almost looks. Now, do you uh, call it? Do you really think it's roided up? Because that's one of the things that I liked. Is that unlike looking at someone like Stallone or Mickey Rourke, Sean Penn looked like he was um, like naturally fit. It didn't seem obscene in that roided way. Did, did you feel he was roided up? Well, I don't think he is. I just think that he's so veiny, and I think he is naturally fit. I mean, I, I have no doubt about that. But m- my it's question, as I, as I watched it, was w- would and what I wanted to ask you two guys was, would this not be a more interesting movie if he weren't that? If he were a little okay. more, if he were a little more yeah. schlubby, like like I don't know, I, I, not to make it comical, but think of Dan Aykroyd in Gross Point Blank, or 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 like put Stephen Tobolowsky in this role, or some somebody else who who's a, who's more schlubby instead of this guy who's just this surfer dude. I well, mean, but which which is more interesting? I mean, he looks. I think you're right, Tom. I think he does look. I'm not saying he look he, that he's on steroids. He just he's just so veiny and like. Ugh. Well, but that's I mean that's one of his. I thought you know his fitness looked really natural. Like obviously it's it's a it's working out fitness. Like it's not a dock worker thing. But he, his, I thought his body looked great. Um, yeah, he, he looks freaking fantastic. Yeah, 
Um, Liam but, Neeson, but I like that Liam Neeson just kind of looks big and natural. Well, and he's vulnerable. Liam Neeson has a vulnerability quality. Well, that's the thing. Starbuck's like, a dark man. Yeah, the way he, the way Liam Neeson carries his age, it, it still yeah, sort of feels like like uh, like Sean Penn is fighting his age. You know, he's doing that Tom Cruise yeah. thing of doing a role that someone 20 years younger than him would play. Whereas Liam Neeson, you know, the, the kind of things they're doing with him in these movies, it couldn't be played by someone 20 years younger. It has to be someone his age. Um he never has to be totally fit. I don't. I don't think we really see him with his shirt off in, in these movies. Uh, Liam Neeson's hands, if we remember from the Gray, yeah. like I love how chapped and, and just battered. You know, he looks like he's, he's had hands that have been working. Um, you know, Liam Neeson looks like a, 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 a battered fifty-five-year-old or sixty-year-old dude, however old he is. Yeah, but he he also carries his sadness with him in a different way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Way. Yeah. yeah, Sean that Penn has this, this very different kind of moroseness to him that I kind of find alienating. Like, yeah, me too. And I, yeah, and I don't, I don't. I was trying to think as I was watching this because I also think Sean Penn is awful in this. Like, oh yeah, he's not yeah. connecting with anyone. He really does, seems like he doesn't want to be there. Um, there was a uh, the reviewer for I think the San Francisco Chronicle said something like, um, "He's the most irritable action hero since Harrison Ford." Wow. <laughs> But and I'm not using that as a Harrison Ford slam because Harrison Ford does this great kind of slow burn. Um, I mean, Harrison Ford's irritability is, is very different than what Sean Penn is. Yes. Sean Penn seems it's lovable. Like, yeah, there is this this lovable irascibility about it, where Sean Penn is kind of like. It's it's sort of like yeah, like he I I can totally imagine him punching a paparazzi and wanting people to leave him alone and just not wanting to be here. He really does seem petulant. Petulant's I mean, good too. Yeah, I think it's there's there's that scene where he's with uh with Javier Bardem in after he's yelled out money, um and and they're in that white room oh. in his white office and and Javier Bardem I don't think is any good in this either but he doesn't have much to do but in that scene in particular you know Sean Penn is just doing his like I'm just petulant over here in the corner and Javier Bardem is just so effortlessly doing what Javier Bardem does. And all I could think of was Tom Wilkinson versus George Clooney in Michael Clayton in that baguette scene, yeah. where where one of them is just clearly just punching and punching and punching, and the other one's just like smack, 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 like Neo in the Matrix. I mean, it's just so easy for one of them, and the other one is just trying so hard. And Sean Penn just comes across as he – I mean, I like the way you put it. He's just eh. – uh, well, let me ask. So, uh, I I don't think we all necessarily hate Sean Penn. Like, what's the last thing you can think of where you really thought Sean Penn was great, or or is there anything? Like, do we all hate Sean Penn? What what? No, he's getting a lot of things. Well, I love him in Twenty One Grams, but that, I think that's range, the last I thing like I him. saw because you you made me see it. And I think in Twenty in Twenty One Grams, he, he's definitely offset. He's doing that morose thing, but he's offset by that kind of. Uh, the, the intense grieving of Naomi Watts, oh, um, yeah. and the even more intense grieving of Benicio del Toro. Like he's very much part of an ensemble in Twenty One Grams, and here, I mean, it's a, it's a vehicle for him, and there's he's not really interacting with anyone in any meaningful way. Um, I never saw Mystic River. Yeah, I don't God, like that. But Kelly Wan, you, you even mentioned at close range. I don't think he's good in that either. Like, I no, think, he's great. Uh, you don't like him in that? And him and Chris. Well, I, I watched that recently, and I think at close range is, is kind of clumsy. Yeah. Um, I mean, he's fascinating in it, and I loved watching him in it, and, and Christopher Walken's just all over the map in that one. Um, I gave a shit about his character in that, and I didn't in this, that's for sure. I, I think a lot really... of what's going on with At Close Range is we probably remember watching it from when we were kind of younger. Uh, 
I don't know. I would be curious if you saw it again if it held up for you. Maybe. Um, uh, so uh, let's then talk some about some of the supporting cast because this movie has what should be an amazing cast. Um, who really disappointed you and who maybe didn't let you down? Javier Bardem's doing the same thing he was doing in The Counselor. It's almost the same guy. He's oh, that's what I was thinking. Yeah, yeah. Oh, good yeah. point. Yeah, good. But The Counselor's a more interesting movie by far. Oh, yeah. And in this, it's like, I feel like this. the vibe I get off Sean Penn in this movie is like, I'm going to do these action scenes because I'm a fucking badass actor, but you really should be paying attention to the causes that this yeah. movie's referring to. So don't you suck for watching what I'm the stunt I'm about to do. Fuck you guys. Yeah, that, that is it, it. I mean, it doesn't do it often, but when it does try to roll out its political agenda, it's it's pretty clumsy and heavy. Yeah, yeah. And I should be rooting for this character because he's. But I, I at no point in it did I think he was either overmatched or like. Oh, I hope. I wonder if he's gonna die or. Um... Well, let, let's get back to the supporting cast. So Kelly, one in the supporting cast, was there anyone? You, why are you? By the way, why are you calling Mark Rylance Tom Noonan? What is yes, that about? Really? What is that about? It's so weird. They're both bald. I guess their hairlines are similar. Fair enough. I'll, I'll give you that. Um, That's all you, I see. Do you recognize Mark Rylance from anything, Kelly Wand? You may uh, not. Uh, no. Okay. Because uh, I, I have a huge soft spot for Mark Rylance. I love that guy. Uh, I had the good fortune maybe, I don't know, five, eight years ago uh, to see him in a traveling production of Twelfth Night. Now, uh, Mark Rylance, by the way, has an extensive stage background. He's an English actor. Um I think the, the movies most people might know him from are uh, – there's a fairly obscure movie called Intimacy, which is kind of known because he actually is having sex with full penetration uh, with, uh, I think, Carrie Fox in that movie. Um, but it's a great movie. Who's Carrie Fox? Isn't she the shallow grave chick? What, oh, the, the redhead or the uh, – There's only one woman in shallow grave, so yeah. yeah. Um, she does, And I think she does have red right. hair. <laughs> there is only one. Yeah, Ewan McGregor doesn't count as it. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, that's the other redhead in Shallow Grave. Um, but a lot of people know Mark Rylance. Well, uh, you might know Mark Rylance from a movie called Angels and Insects with Patsy Kinsett. Sounds familiar. Well, he's the main guy in that. But otherwise, Dan Brown, right? It's mainly. Jeez, um, oh, how dare you? He's uh, also in a really bad movie called Anonymous. What is anonymous? That sounds familiar, Dink. Oh, the, the Shakespeare was really written oh. by Francis Bacon movie, that, that thing, the Roland Emmerich thing. Yeah, exactly, right. Yeah. Well, I, he's, he's got a big stage ground, background, and I saw him uh, several years ago in a traveling production at UCLA of Twelfth Night, in which he played, and if you don't know Twelfth Night, this might not mean anything to you, but he played Viola. Whoa. Now, now Twelfth Night is about a woman who is shipwrecked, uh, and she has to pretend that she is uh, a man for, for much of the, the play. And over the course of the play, she then falls in love with another man, who uh, with a man who's not another man because she's actually a woman. Uh, and it's one of Shakespeare's uh, better-known uh, gender-bender uh, plays. Uh, so Mark Rylance, a man, plays a woman playing a man in the production I saw. Uh, and it was in a little tiny room. Um, you know, it was in the round, uh, in that it was just a room with, with uh, a few rows of chairs against the wall. And, you know, he's walking close enough that he can, you know, bump into your feet if you stretch your legs out. Uh, and it was just fascinating. And I love that guy specifically for he, – he in this movie, he, he put on some sort of real gravelly, rough-voiced affectation. Um, I hated that. 
I hated that too. And actually, I don't know if that's – I hope that's not his real voice. I don't know if he had some sort of complications or if he was just doing that affectation. But you know, it, if you know him from Angels and Insects, he's got this very soft, uh, almost like – it's not Scottish, but this kind of burr to his voice. I mean, which I love. Like I can hear him talking about in Angels and Insects, uh, uh, butterflies. Uh, <laughs> so I, I love that guy, and I really hated seeing him wasted as the villain in this. Uh, Especially since you know from the moment he opens his mouth that he's the villain. I mean, you know the the moment he's introduced, and the and you know at least if you if you don't know the moment he's introduced, when Sean Penn saunters into his office, that he's the villain, and you just sit there thinking. He's obviously the villain. Are you guys going to do anything else with him? Yeah. yeah. And they don't. It's. Uh, I would argue, though, an even greater waste of talent is uh, how little they do with Ray Winstone, except, hey, here's yeah. an actor like, we're going to bring him on and kill him to so that the main character gets mad. Well, is that a greater waste of talent, or is Idris Elba? Oh, my God, thank you. Oh, yeah. I even forgot he was in this, yeah. I did, too. Yeah, exactly. Why the, why the fuck do they have these guys in? I mean, Ray Win- Winstone is doing his, you know, I mean, Ray Winstone in Spain moment. Um, he's doing as much as he can, but why in the world is Idris Elba in this? Well, you know, if they, they come to him and they say, you know, we'll, we'll pay your rate, we have a Sean Pick vehicle. feel better. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not surprised they're, they're in it. I mean, they're, you know, they, they have they have their... Uh, no, no, it's... It, as well, and, no, I'm I'm fine with actors taking paydays, but I don't understand why you why yeah, you, you already bother. signed them on. Why did you bother getting go. Idris Elba to do that? Right, crappy shit. And and there's and so I, much that weird lighter stuff, and then they they muddy it up with Ray Winstone's lighter. And I don't understand what oh, Jesus. What are they doing with these actors? What are they doing? They're they're just throwing some money at them, bringing them on for a few days of shooting, and then wasting them entirely. Yeah, it's kind of it sad. just feels like a hodgepodge of all like. That what was the one with Denzel Washington and Equalizer? Uh, no, the one where he was Safe House. Yeah, Safe House. It was like that, and all those other movies like just mashed together into another movie that we that I was forgetting. Even as I was watching it, I'm, like, I'm not going to remember this scene or this scene or this scene in an hour. To, the difference between something like Safe House and I don't, I don't, I, I didn't really care for Safe House, but but Safe House, I got the sense that there was a talented director sort of trying to do something, even though it didn't work. I just so much about the gunman just felt like lazy and uninspired, and like no one really cared about what was going on. You know, I kind of got yeah, the sense Reynolds, of Safe House. Oh, go ahead. Well, yeah, I was just agreeing with you. I, yeah, and, I was trying to remember Ryan. And there was some energy with what Ryan Reynolds was trying to do, but but yeah. Um, yeah, and this I, I felt more befu- like, what are you doing? Like, it felt Dingus's mystification. Like, you have all the film and the cameras running. Like, you could be doing a lot of things right now. Uh, how about that that finale in Barcelona where there hasn't been a bullfight since 2011? <sighs> Jeez. That, that is my metaphor. favorite disclaimer ever. So, Dingus, what is it? Explain, because a lot of people, I imagine, aren't like us, and as soon as this movie ended, they got out and walked out. Uh, so what did we see in the credits, Dingus? All right, my, my favorite disclaimer ever is is as the credits roll up after all of the music credits and everything, it, there's this credit that says Barcelona is an anti-bullfighting city, and it has been <laughs> since 2011. There hasn't been a bullfight there since 2011. That's and your applause. Uh, uh, and I, I thought that was just an amazing disclaimer. It was just so weird. Uh, but the, even more amazing to me than that was that when we get to the point where the 
bull <laughs> is released to charge down the corridor at Mark Rylance, there is somebody in our theater who actually gasped, like, oh, there's a bull? <laughs> So awesome! It's like, like, are you surprised that that bull is? I mean, it's been set up for the last twenty minutes that this bull is going to charge down this thing and gore him. Are you actually surprised? See, I guess too, though, but more like, like, really, you're actually going to do what I thought you were going to do for twenty minutes. Uh, why do you think they did that? And set the movie in a. And so the first title card is two thousand six. The second title card is eight years later. We are obviously in two thousand fourteen. Why did they have a finale? at a bullfight in Barcelona where there are no longer bullfights. Any theories? Well, at least we gave you a little gore. Is that what saying? <laughs> That's actually, my guess. There wasn't that much gore. I mean, it was kind of a, no, you know, one of those terrible cut-together animal attacks. You know? I know. This is kind of a crappy R-rated movie. No theories? Wait, are you, was Tom's question rhetorical? No, no, no. No, no. I, no, I, I, think, th- I, think, he has a, I think he has a reason. Yeah, so you guys, so, I mean, clearly this is a, and they even point out, this is an anachronism. There would never be a bullfight in Barcelona in 2014, but we're going to have it in our movie. Why do you think they did it? To symbolize that the British person who's the imperialist is always going to be killed by, like, the, the, the quadruped that, from, you know. Tell me I, I started to get out a gold star to put on your paper, but the more you talked, the more I put the gold star back in my desk drawer. I know. I try not to talk as much, but. <laughs> no, I really do think that's it. Oh. So they really had to have this, um, this, uh, this symbolic death of a man releasing a bull that eventually gores him. And that is a representation of multinational corporations in the third world, is they are unleashing forces that will eventually be their undoing. Oh, that's, okay. That's and then maybe what was I was going to ask is, well, then why not have that take place in Africa? But you're right, the 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 it actually has to come home. Yeah, it's it the whole market. It's like a money term. Uh, well, Kelly Wand, I I maybe perhaps. Uh, Gold but star. I do think that that no, we'll give you a, a silver star. How's that? Oh, fuck this podcast. <laughs> but I really do think that there was somewhere they they were they were trying to do some sort of clumsy metaphor about. You know, he's unleashed something that ends up killing him. Um, Based on his own petard. Rather than having him choke on a diamond, I guess. But you know what, Dingus? It's the same kind of thing. Like that same kind of thing. A matador or a humidor? And you can't just have the bad guy shoot him. It's got to have the good guy shoot the bad guy. It's got to be something that somehow is a comeuppance for his complicity with the multinational, you know, the corporate exploitation of the developing world. Right. The way Mrs. Brody used boat steering against nature's ancient predator. One, two, three, not only you and she got one made ducks, three, and I'm caught in between. One, two, three, eat a pun, and three. She's Brody's penis. It's her penis. Help Brody. Kelly One, there are very few things that aren't made better by some reference to the Jaws movies. Well played. That time it was personal. Like, if she hadn't done it that way, it wouldn't have been as personal. If she just shoot the shark, it's not personal. Anybody can do that. All right, so this is what it was like. This is what it was like when you guys were having to go see things like uh, The Equalizer and Black Hat and Chappie, huh? This is what I missed from the podcast. (laughs) You weren't there for Equalizer? I'm already upset. You made us see that? Wait, are you sure? Am I sure about what? No, I, w- I wasn't recording when you guys when you did the equalizer. Equalizer, uh, you were. Yeah. I'm a little upset now. 
All right, you have to go back and watch every movie we saw then. Uh, I, I did watch most of the stuff that you guys saw. Hey, your top ten list. Did you post that? I didn't. Do you guys want to hear my top ten list? Because yeah, hey, I, I do. Because there were some interesting ones. We're going to talk about uh, one of the movies on my top ten list for the 3 by 3 Oh, exciting. <laughs> Let's see. My top ten list. There's one that's going to. 2014. Well, here we go. Because me, so, yeah, me go and Dingus had dueling. Tom's going to hate my number nine more. No, Tom's going to hate my number nine more. So. Uh, I don't recall that I was. Were you guys picking things that I hate? What What was it you guys picked that I would have hated? My number nine was They Came Together, and Dingus's number oh, yeah, nine yeah. was Edge of Tomorrow. Right, right. I didn't hate Edge of Tomorrow. I did hate They Came Together, though. I'll, I'll, I'll definitely say that one I hated, yes. And, and you put that there just to intentionally provocate, to be a no. provocateur. Tell me about it. <laughs> I'll say. Oh, no, I mean, whoops, you can say that again. Yeah, yeah I, I corrupted it to also, too, because it seems like that's what it should have been. I do a rewrite. Did you know about what Hot American Sequel? Uh, no, but I am I guess I do now. <laughs> okay, I want to hear your top ten list. <laughs> uh, so I agreed with you guys. Didn't you guys both pick the rover? Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, yeah, so that was my number one as well, so there was no debate. That was my number three, Under the Skin was my oh, number Oh, Under the Skin, right, right. There was uh, my number one was the rover. Well, my number two, so actually, I'll, uh, yeah, so my, my favorite movie from last year was The Rover. Number two was uh, Under the Skin. Yeah. My number three favorite movie of 2014, 300, Rise of an Empire. <laughs> awesome. Uh, yep. My number four movie of 2013 was Lucy. Uh, I oh, my God, wait, we got to talk about that, because I... You guys, you guys talked about it on the podcast, and I it's one of those instances that all podcast listeners know, where somebody is sitting there yelling at the podcast, and the podcast cannot hear him or her. Um, so yeah, I loved Lucy. I was hugely fond of Lucy. Um, God, I did for various I like reasons. It's it, yeah. Well, for various reasons, I think you guys um, weren't like it, it wasn't part of what you guys responded to about Lucy. Uh, uh, so that was one of my favorites. My number five favorite movie of the year was Locke. Which, uh. Uh, uh, my number six favorite movie was Guardians of the Galaxy. Uh. Number seven was Enemy. Number eight was a movie that neither of you have seen, directed by Kelly Reichardt, who we all like on this podcast. She's known for uh, Wendy and Lucy and Meek's Cutoff, a movie called Old Joy. Uh, Old Joy. She did a movie last year called Night Moves with uh, Peter Sarsgaard, uh, Jesse Eisenberg, and L. Fanning. Um, I might be screwing up my Fanning sisters. I'm pretty sure it's L. Uh, my number nine movie is a Thomas Hayden Church movie that neither of you guys have seen called Whitewash. And my tenth favorite movie was uh, Calvary, the Brendan Gleeson thing where he's a priest. Yeah. Uh, my most surprising thing, 2014, how much I like that Transformers movie. Uh, I'm watching a series right now called uh, Fortitude with Stanley Tucci, uh, which I it's, it's really weird, but I like it a lot. But uh, Stanley Tucci does like any movie pretty much gets extra uh, credit for me when Stanley Tucci is in it, and that definitely applied to that Transformers movie. The core? All right, maybe not any movie. Hmm. Uh, my most disappointing movie of 2014 was the Captain America movie, and my favorite little thingy, as I think Dingus likes to term this award, uh, was Mark Ruffalo and uh, Channing Tatum doing their, their sparring in the early uh, part of Foxcatcher. That's a great one, yeah. Yeah, they're just kind of, uh, it's like a couple of bears rolling around, which is so yeah. horrible. Hey, did you like that movie? You said we missed the point. Did I like what movie? Foxcatcher? 
yeah. So Foxcatcher, and I've talked to Dingus about this. I thought Foxcatcher, uh, you kind of should not should, but I enjoyed Foxcatcher on the same level that I enjoy horror movies. I thought Foxcatcher was a, a sort of a horror movie about class disparity. Uh, but yeah, wait, that's good. See, Dingus, that's what I was trying to say. God. I, also, I should have listened to you the whole time, Kelly. I apologize. Jeez. Uh, I also, and neither of these guys uh, uh, liked this. I really liked Interstellar, too. I think a lot of people didn't like Interstellar. Ew. Yeah, I know. Isn't that weird? What? Uh, yeah, how about that? You're shitting me. No, no. I, I, I just, it just came out uh, on uh, HD streaming. Dingus and told you. And there's a Blu-ray release uh, in about a week. Uh, so I rewatched it. But yeah, I really liked Interstellar a lot. Oh, I hate that movie. I mean, it's uneven. I, I fully understand why someone would dislike it. And hate the characters. Hate the science. I have with it, but uh, who cares about the science though? That Dingus and I went and saw a talk at uh, at JPL where Kip Thorne, who's one of the producers and the science consultant, and Jonathan Nolan, who wrote the, an early draft of the script, uh, where they were doing Q and A at, at JPL. Um, they were talking to another uh, physicist uh, who's been a consultant on movies. He was kind of asking them, interviewing them. Uh, and I, I think that this whole idea that the science of interstellar is part of what makes it good or is realistic or is even important to it, I think that's just a bunch of bunkum. Uh, I couldn't care less about the science in interstellar. And I, I, I it does suck for other reasons. I agree with you. Uh, well, well, whether or not it's whether or not you think it sucks, I think this this idea that interstellar is, is somehow better because it's grounded in real science, quote unquote, uh, I couldn't care less about that. And I, you know, there's so many little goofy sciencey parts of Interstellar that are almost risable. Okay, forget what I said about the science. The characters are terrible. Agree or disagree? No, disagree. Totally disagree. I love the relationship of Matthew McConaughey with the little girl Mackenzie Foy. Uh, I really liked how uh, um, Jessica Chastain and Casey Affleck sort of grew up and became foils to each other. Um, I I loved what they did with Matt Damon. Um, that sort of fake out where it turns out he's not the best of it. Well. I, I like that too, actually. It's not just that he's the best of us; he's kind of representative of us in in, in our at our best and worst. Um, I thought it was funny and unexpected. Yeah, and and so Matthew thought, McConaughey, even though sometimes I have no idea what he's doing, I just find him fascinating. And I thought it was fascinating that Nolan wanted to cast him as the kind of everyman uh, in, in the movie. What um, about Tars? I prefer Case. <laughs> What about how they screwed the black dude? I liked that guy too. I don't. I don't remember who the actor was, but I, I loved how just kind of soft spoken he was, and I just love that moment where he says, "I've been waiting twenty three years." Yeah. I don't know what I've been eating for twenty three years, but I guess maybe my own pancreas. Again, that's science. That's right. If you if you like care about science. the science of Interstellar, yeah, ooh, but and I'm sure they have. You know, I've, I talked about this to you, Dingus, with the, the Martian. How do you have oxygen for so long? You know, how does that work again? I don't know, and, and I don't care. Yeah, photosynthesis. I don't know. Uh, and uh, and what, what the great thing about the talk was the other the other uh, physicist there, the guy moderating, it was a guy named Sean Carroll, by the way. And uh, one of the great moments was um, at, at the talk. They're they're talking about wormholes and whatnot, uh, and Kip Thorne is talking about his theories of wormholes and how he, he puts up a diagram saying he, he thinks, well, I guess they don't exist after all. Um, and then Sean Carroll's like, I want to tell a story real quick about a movie I worked on. <laughs> and, and he says, uh, in this movie, uh, we wanted to talk about a wormhole and um, – 
they said, no, you really shouldn't use the word wormhole because that's really very 90s. Um, and the movie, <laughs> and, and the movie he was talking about working on was Tom? Uh, Thor. The Dark Thor World. Uh, was it, yeah, Thor The Dark World. Thor. He was talking about the Bifrost. And he what? said what they what they did was they instead of calling it instead of calling it a wormhole they called it a, a Einstein Ro- Rosenberg bridge or what there there was some other oh, term that's way better. right yeah like a Rosenberg bridge or something like that um, wormhole's a weird name too though because worms have but what was tails. What was great was that Kip Thorne, as they talked about this, uh, we started this to make a, a scientific uh, basis for a movie, and then we just have had to keep cheating on the science be, you know, uh, for story reasons. Well, if you're going to do that anyway, which is what you have to do in any movie to make a story. Yeah, but then, part, sure. then, then don't bother. What's the point of exactly. it? Exactly. Exactly. Uh, and the, I, I think that's what we all sort of came away with. But I think the things that Tom likes about the movie have nothing to do with that, and I can respect that. Yeah, so for, for me, Interstellar was uh, – by the way, I also love the world building in Inter- Interstellar, this uh, this uh. way that they create – why are you going, uh? This way that they create a, a different sort of apocalypse scenario uh, and that they create a, a space exploration movie out of that apocalypse scenario. The school uh, principal. Yeah, and I think that's what Jonathan Nolan actually brings to it. Exactly. That, that was the part of his script that I think they, they mostly used. Kelly Wan, you mentioned the school principal. Uh, what does <laughs> – do, do you remember what that scene said about um, – actually, you know what? You're not going to remember, so I'm just going to tell you one of the things I like. There's no way you're going to get this. Uh, there's, there's one line in Interstellar where uh, – so Colette Wolf is the actress who plays the teacher – who we know from like Hot Tub Time Machine and um, uh, Foot Fist Way. Uh, but anyway, she plays the teacher, and she's brought Matthew McConaughey in because it's, a, it's like a parent-teacher conference because his daughter got in trouble for, for having a fight at school. Uh, and she says the fight was about – she was claiming that the moon landing wasn't faked. And what the movie – and what this is doing for the world building in the movie um, is creating a world – where we have lost track of our scientific achievements because we're busy fighting for survival. So everybody believes the moon landing was faked, and this idea that we should divert money to space exploration, you know, nobody wants to do that anymore. It's an unpopular cause. And in fact, NASA has to be a clandestine uh, operation because of that, because nobody would support NASA. Nobody wants to go out into the stars. Uh, so um, when Matthew McConaughey hears this and he's like, excuse me, because, you know, he was a pilot – he obviously has some scientific integrity. He knows we actually went to the moon. She pulls out a textbook, and she was like, yeah, she got this idea from the old federal textbooks. Um, and then they then talk about it. Matthew McConaughey says something about, uh, um, you know, he brings up that if if it wasn't for, you know, space exploration, then uh, they wouldn't have had, then they would have more. That's how we get technology like MRIs to fight cancer and stuff like that. It's it's a common argument that, you know, by supporting a scientific endeavor, that, that it spreads out to other things because we make discoveries that are useful in other ways. Right. Uh, but the idea that she mentions a federal textbook creates, if you think about it, uh, yeah. this world of where, where states' rights have taken over and individual states are now mandating what we teach our kids. And it's part of this apocalypse scenario is that if you let individual states determine crucial things like how we remember and teach history, you know, what is part of education, 
that that's a bad idea because you can have a state decide, I don't want us to waste money on space exploration, so let's just pretend that, that we never landed on the moon. Um, it's this great little pointed jab that Jonathan Nolan makes at the idea of states' rights, and I love that. It's a little tiny bit. It's a little tiny piece of world building that if you, if you listen closely, I think there's a lot of rewarding touches like that in Interstellar. Um, so upset at you right now. Well, let's Kelly Wan, let, let's cheer you up and talk about masturbation. <laughs> Nicely done. Hang on, I'm almost done. <laughs> this week's three by three. Keep talking about Interstellar. What we're going to talk about? Oh, by the way, speaking of wormholes, you know what else I liked? Um, and yeah, I'll go ahead and say liked. Yeah, the last Hobbit movie is kind of okay. Ah, uh, I didn't I, see it. It's just all battles. The listeners. It's just all, it's crazy. all battles. Yeah, it's just battle scenes and fights and. And the CG actually like has a sense of like weight and and, and character. Well, there's a reindeer. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's Randuil. Lee Pace, uh, who we know as Ronan, rides around in a, like a battle reindeer. Um, I guess I just had such low expectations that I was like, yeah, it's crazy battle scenes for two and a half hours. Wait, okay. I have a question. I don't want to see the movie, but explain. Okay, aren't there only 13 dwarves for that army? So wouldn't they just be overrun? Nope. A whole, a whole new army comes in. Yeah. Of dwarves? Yeah. Uh, yeah. What's Gandalf doing? Nothing. Uh, he's captured for a lot of it. No, I don't think. Is he bringing the eagles? In? Who brings the eagles? In? I don't know. Uh, Gandalf is basically just you know hanging out in the battle and sort of narrating what's going on so that we know. Um, what happens to the master and all that bullshit? Who's the master? Those fucking political people. Oh, oh, and that's another thing. Is it opens with a great scene of a dragon trashing a whole city. Yeah, uh, the dragon falls on him and kills him. Um, but yes. Yeah, like, so the, the, the first two Hobbit movies were just so much like talking and stupid stuff with like dishwashing, dishwashing that, you know, this movie is just the payoff. And I, I wasn't crazy about it, but I, in spite of how'd myself, you, was kind of like, yeah. How did you wind up seeing it? It's out now. Yeah, I know. But you went, oh, Hobbit's playing. Uh, like, I, want, I will watch. I will watch a lot of things that I, I, I unlike some people, I don't mind watching movies I don't like. Now, I, no. I, no, no, it's true. It's absolutely true. I, I, I feel like a lot of people think that watching a bad movie is a waste of their time, but I also no, no. feel that, that watching a bad movie, you can learn things from it. And many bad movies do have good touches in them. I agree with all that. In fact, I think I've said all that. But I'm still curious how you saw the Hobbit poster and went from that to, eh, three hours, sure. Like, you were... Well, when you can when you can stream things like when you watch things like on an innocent oh, you stream it? video, yeah, you can uh, like you can watch it on one computer while you do work on a laptop or something. Like, I Wait, knew, I don't think it would have gone to the theater, but yeah, it seems weirder even to me that you you liked it and you didn't see it at the theater. Like the, if the battles were the good part, then it would have been only good on a bigger screen. I guess I was assuming that it was going to be as bad as the first two. Yeah, huh. that's why I, I didn't go see it at a theater. All right. Well, let's get to something far more important than Hobbit. Masturbation. So this week's three by three. I want uh, your three favorite scenes, not talking about, but involving actual, you know, self abuse, whatever you want to call it, masturbation, onanism, self abuse. Uh, <laughs> uh, so, uh, Dingus, you're announcing next week's three by three. So why don't you start us off with your number three pick? All right. So this number three, my number. Uh, Dingus, did you manipulate this in any special way? Get it. Uh, I did manipulate it in that it's only women. Mm, okay. I wrote this with my left hand. <laughs> yeah? And? What did you use for a pen? 
<clears throat> the real question is what I'd use for ink. Exactly. <laughs> a, little, a little fun. All right. The, this is only women. And so my number three pick, um, I have to be honest with you, it was suggested by the mother of a friend of my girlfriend. <laughs> so I mean, we were all out to dinner the other night. Uh, there's a couple of friends of ours who were in town, um, or a couple of friends of hers who were in town, and I showed up to meet them all for dinner. And um, there was a lull in the conversation, and uh, my girlfriend started talking about um, I'll what, have the the, wax dolphin. what the 3x3 three three was, and started talking about what this week's 3x3, three because three, she's very excited, as most people are, because Tom is just back at the podcast and now we get three by threes again, and I think that our listeners are really excited about this fact. Uh, I, I know I am. I mean, I'm, I'm, you know, as much as I like doing the mini penny thing, uh, it's so much more exciting to be doing three by three now that Tom is back, um, and uh, and she's a an avid listener, and so she started talking excitedly about what the three by three was, and had to explain to these two people who are not listeners what the three by three is. And so we had to give them a bunch of, uh, examples of it. And then she talked about the fact that, Oh, here we are sitting at dinner and the, this week's three by three is about masturbation. And I you know, took a big swallow of the water that I had there at the table. And then the two women across from me talked a little bit They're They're, uh, they were, they happened to be from another country. So they were talking in a different language. And, um, the mom, the, came up with one that I thought was awesome. And uh, the one that she came up with, I think that I probably might have stumbled around to. It's not a movie that I really, really liked. Uh, and Actually, I don't think any of us liked it. We did it for the podcast. Um, but I do love this scene, and I love that this woman, uh, the mother of a friend of a friend, came up with um, immediately at the table. I think it's a great Example and so that would be and I don't have a uh, I don't have a line usually I'll give a line from it but I don't think there's any line from this and I've watched uh, I watched the scene and some of the buffering scenes around it this week um, so it's the it's the uh, masturbation scene uh, in Black Swan um, and I I it's this it comes weirdly after a fight with her mother and then she's in bed and she's imagining uh, and she rolls over onto her stomach and there's it, it's just there's this really hot sort of thing that's going on then she throws the covers over herself and then she's in the bathtub and she's masturbating again and of course then she goes under the water and then there's this red orange liquid that drips onto her face so anyway it's the the masturbation scene from Black Swan Carrie right. Wand what do you have that tops that Oh, the, you mean that gets on top of it? Um, I'll just just say my thing now. Uh, my number three is uh, Mulholland Drive, Naomi Watts. I've never seen Mulholland Drive. No. Um, well, what, what's going on in the scene? Yeah, what makes you your number three pick? Well, she's masturbating miserably, um... Because it's like a mirror of like the first half when she was on a on a successful date with the lady that she lives with, I think. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so it's like the payoff to that and Lost Highway because it's like the second half of Lost Highway is illusory and the first half's real. 
so you know you're watching reality in Mulholland Drive when Naomi Watts. I think it was the first time I'd seen a woman masturbate in a movie. So it has that, too. I think that's why it's my number three. All I right. did them in order I've seen them in. You always remember your first, Kelly Wand. Yeah. Uh, you guys haven't seen this movie. My number three pick is a, a little no-budget zombie movie called The Battery. Um, the Battery isn't very good. Most of it is shot uh, in the interior of a car. It's like stalled out in a field and zombies surround it. Um, so at one point, uh, the, the car's out in a field. This is basically about two guys in a zombie apocalypse. Like I said, it's a no-budget movie. Um, don't know where they shot it. But one of the guys is out um, know, foraging for food or whatever. The other guy is asleep in the car, and he uh, wakes up and sees one solitary zombie coming towards the car. And it's a zombie. It's actually it's a, like a, a teenage girl, and she's wearing a... a a halter top and no bra and she comes up to the the glass of the car and she's trying to get in and he uh you know he sort of recoils in horror and uh sort of starts casting about for some way to kill her but then he notices that she is like pressing herself up against the glass she's a zombie she's undead she's not trying to be suggestive but like all zombies it's just flesh and he considers for a moment and uh he <laughs> sort of decides well okay why not and while this zombie is pressing up against the glass and sort of reaching towards him, he starts doing his business. Um, <laughs> and right as he is uh, about to attain completion, uh, his buddy comes back and uh, shoots the zombie in the head. Oh, yeah, exactly. Uh, but it's something I've never seen before. There, there's a there's a video game called Dead Rising, uh, the first one on the on the Xbox uh, 360, had this weird. It was a Japanese game, and you played a photographer, and you would take pictures of zombies, and it would rate your pictures based on things like uh, how many zombies were in the frame, or uh, like whether or not there was uh, an innocent person in danger to make the picture more thrilling. Uh, it would also rate the pictures on their level of eroticism, like if there were chesty zombies, or if uh, you could see down a zombie's shirt, um, just this really weird combination of, uh, you know, the zombie mythology and then sexuality. Uh, <coughs> uh, excuse me. Bless you, Kelly. One, you're, you're allergic to that, obviously. <laughs> well, when you said sexuality, I just kind of charged something loose. Uh, but I'd never seen anything like that scene in the battery where the guy's totally safe in the car and he decides, oh yeah, she's kind of a hot zombie. I guess I might as well. Hmm. All right, so uh, Dingus, what is your number two favorite masturbation? Wait, does he? He does I mean, not. Uh, you know, it's actually. I believe it's as he's completing that the zombie's head gets blown off. Yeah. Uh, so it's like Rachel Lee Cook in the graveyard. Uh, and what's the name of that movie? Uh, Twelve minutes or something. <laughs> eleven, eleven. Yeah. Eleven, eleven. Right. See, I knew. That's winning. Uh, Dingus, what is your number two favorite scene about masturbation? Well, first of all, I love. I love the phrase that you said, uh, where, where you said he considers for a moment. <laughs> I love that as 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 your your polite way of saying he's going to decide to jerk off. He considers for a moment. Uh, they also because this is difficult. Um, so you can do it differently when you're shooting a woman, but it's uh, the way you you have to strategically shoot uh, male masturbation scenes. Right. So the way they do it is it's kind of a station wagon, and uh, 
normally in, in the battery, mo both of the seats are down, so there's a big area there where they can shoot. But strategically placed in this scene, <laughs> one seat is down, one is up, so that where he is situated, his groinal area, the way the scene is shot, is behind the seat that is up. Uh, <laughs> it's always kind of challenging is, you know, if you're just going to shoot the upper part of the guy's body, then, yeah, he, he just jiggles around and moves his shoulder or whatever, makes it look like he's masturbating. Uh, this is a full-body shot, but the one seat was conveniently raised, so... Right. And I like that you bring this up, yeah. that there was, there, there was another being in the scene, because one of the things that I was discussing this week as, as I was trying to consider this topic was, if there's, if there's another person involved in any way, does that count as masturbation? Um, and I, I think it does. The person I was discussing with it was kind of disagreeing with me a little bit. Um, but there's, there's another being in the scene that you're talking about and clearly it still is masturbation um the my my number two which when you talked about when you brought this up my number my numbers one and two came to mind immediately i just wasn't sure how i was going to order them um uh and there's definitely somebody in in the actual room while the the uh, the act is going on in my number two choice, and the number two choice, of course, would would have this line uh, appended to it. Uh, I like to watch. Oh, oh, of course, good pick, Dingus. I didn't even think of that one. Very good. All right, so this is from the movie Being There, uh, mm. and this is Shirley MacLaine um, being sort of, uh, I don't know, liberated by uh, Peter Sellers' uh, Chauncey Gardner as he talks her through uh, pleasuring herself. I think for the very first time maybe she's ever done it. And I love the way Shirley McLean, and you can kind of see this almost as an acting exercise. It's just, it's just this unbelievable unleashing and freedom that she's going through as she's just coiling herself around the bedposts. I mean, I, I, don't, I don't, oddly, I don't own this movie and I could not find this clip anywhere, but I just remember this so vividly um, of her just, just slithering around the bed as he's just sitting there like clicking through channels. I think I, I, I it's been so long since I saw it, but I just remember her just, going crazy as he talks her through this and then her eventually saying to him that 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 he has transformed her and and has given her uh, the ability to become more of a person and i i love that scene yeah it is strangely uh there's a lot of blocking for, for oh yeah, you know, yeah, yeah 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 for what would normally be uh you know you lay there and you take care of your business uh, yeah no, she's I remember all her slithering around his head, though, too. Oh, is she? No, she's definitely, like, caressing his head, and I think she messes up his hair and everything. Yeah, it's a very, um, yeah, there's a lot of motion involved in that scene. Absolutely, yeah. All right, Kelly Wan, what do you have the tops being there as your number in two the pick? It's better, obviously, than Mulholland Drive, but not as good as the scene that you're going to pick for your number one. Uh, yeah. Well, um... Which of you said earlier that science was where you're trying to learn something and then you find something unexpected? I'm going to uh, say that was Tom. That's one of the things that is used to defend the fact that we should try to like send men to the moon and to Mars and use all these – that we should explore space, that we should pour money into the space program. Yeah. Okay, this is my version of that. Okay, and the movie Zapped. Um, <laughs> Scott Baio goes to his class at the beginning. 
and um, he's looking at Heather Thomas, and then he fantasizes that she takes her shirt off, and he starts masturbating in the math class. Um, and then the teacher calls on him, but he has a boner, so he's like, oh, what am I going to do? And then he uses his telekinesis to like make her shirt open. Or no, wait, I'm sorry, to make the movie screen fall on the teacher's head. So he's all, whoa, that's how he discovers he has telekinesis. Wait. But he, he got that way through masturbating. Like he's masturbating in math class. Yeah. And if so he hadn't... This, does, he this sounds less realistic than Interstellar, Kelly Wand. He's looking at Heather Thomas, and then he's masturbating. While math class is on. Like, he's in class to learn long division or whatever, and he just... Yeah, but if she was in your math class, you'd be kind of zoning out, wouldn't you? But I wouldn't, like, actually whip it out and start doing the act. I mean, that No, he didn't whip it out. He's, like, doing it through his pants. Right. Are you sure it's not? He's not just fantasizing. Kelly, one, I might have to. I haven't seen Zapped, but I, I'm guessing it sounds like it's a fantasy scene that you are misremembering as an actual masturbation scene. No, he's touching it and sweating, <laughs> and he's also touching his penis. <laughs> All right. Well, you know, any any excuse to hear a little bit more about Zapped, uh, I appreciate. So, thank so you. then he makes the teacher's head get hit by the movie screen, and then he's all, "Oh my god, I, I'm I have a psionic ability." And oh, that's how he learns that. about it. Like the right. masturbation awakens his own uh, telekinetic yeah, ability. It's like Carrie, but also too, it's like he wouldn't know that he's telekinetic unless he'd started masturbating in math class. That's like how Galileo. That's how they all get started. Kelly Wand, you, uh, you. This ties in neatly with my number two choice for my favorite masturbation scene, which also ties in with Dingus's list because this one involves a woman. Uh, Dingus hates this movie. Kelly Wand, you and I kind of appreciate it. Uh, there's a movie called High Tension. Um, High Tension? Uh, wow, yeah. Wait, I haven't seen High Tension. Oh, good choice, Tom. Damn. What if I were to call it Earth Tension? <laughs> oh, I love that movie. Uh, so uh, it, it starts with a, a, a young woman and her, her female friend driving out into the country to see the female friend's family. Uh, and they get to the house, and they get set up, and the, the young woman who's there as a guest is in the guest room. Uh and she puts on her Walkman, and she starts uh, masturbating. And what we discover over the course of the movie, actually maybe not until the end, uh, is that she is in love with her female friend. Uh, but she is too repressed sexually to act on that. So much so that she is a psychotic, that she, she is a, a psychotic killer. And we don't know that until the end of the movie. I apologize. I have now spoiled high tension for you if you haven't seen it. It's been long enough. That's too bad. Uh, but the point of high tension is that as she is, is masturbating, uh, that's when we are introduced to – the movie will trick us for most of its running length and make us think that there's this huge trucker dude who's uh, killing everyone in a place like a slasher movie. But this is simply a manifestation of her sexual libido, uh, and it's being released by the act of her masturbating, imagining her friend. Um, so the, the scene in high tension – uh, isn't just played for its lurid value of here's a hot chick masturbating. Uh, it's making a point about her sexuality and her confusion and the, the chaos that it ultimately creates in that movie. Wait, the serial killer's masturbating or the victim's masturbating? She's not a victim. It later turns out that she is the one who does all the killing. But as she is masturbating, we then see we are introduced to the killer in his truck, basically filleting himself with a severed head. Oh, yeah. Uh, and this is intercut with her on the bed listening to music, writhing around. Uh, yeah. I haven't seen the movie, but that did remind me of something. 
so that is my number two. Wait, what's the music? I don't remember. Uh, probably uh, there's a uh, there's a Muse song called uh, New Newborn Afterbirth. No, Ted Gummit, what's it called? Well, there's a great Muse song that's used to good effect in high tension, but I don't know what she's actually listening to on her Walkman. I only know Kraftwerk. You know Daft Punk from uh, Tron. Oh, uh, was that the Laser Cane guy? It's Michael Sheen. Yeah. Oh, the guy from Take Shelter. What? What do you want about Kelly Wand? The star Mike, of Take Shelter? Michael, Michael Shane played uh, Frost in Frost Nixon. Uh, Michael Shannon was in Take Shelter. Oh, you're confusing Shane and Shannon, right? Wait, Frost, the one where Michael Keaton was a snowman? Uh, exactly. Dingus, what is your number one favorite scene about masturbation? That's going to be my number one, by the way. Masturbation. All right, here's a quote from it. Just one scoop of creamed potatoes, one slice of butter, oh... And four peas. Ah, we just saw it. Probably when Harry met Sally. Yeah, we did just see it. So this is the movie secretary. Um, There's a couple of great uh, masturbation scenes in this, but choosing this one in particular after she's been instructed to eat this meal, and she has this great visualization of herself in 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 the bud of a flower, basically, Uh, and. And she gets diverted mentally by looking at this other dude who's a picture on her uh, on her desk, uh, and she imagines being on a on a on a washer and dryer with him, and she slams that down. But but then it's just this super hot Maggie Gyllenhaal scene where she's where she's you know you know Tom said this pretty well it's easier to show a female than a male doing this because she can be wearing her uh her panties and be touching herself and and we're not going to see anything else but that and that's super hot and i just really like the way she flips over just as in black swan and is face down on the bed and um the just the visualization of her as the flower face down the bed i think that the way this works in the context of the film, um, so it was kind of back and forth for me between Secretary and being there, but Secretary has to be number one because I think it's a really super hot scene. Good. All right. Have you seen it? Have I seen Secretary? Actually, not since it was at Sundance, in fact. Uh, you know, I know I listened to you guys talk about it, and I, I want to see it again, but yeah, I've not seen it in a long time. It had way more repeat value than I would have than I expected. Oh, sure. Yeah. It's it's surprisingly good. Yeah. Um, plus, I mean, James Spader. Uh, you know, I, I'm kind of a fan of of his uh, of his work of late, and I really kind of like him in Blacklist, and I just like how self assured and confident he's he is as an actor and has become later in age. And so seeing him in this, watching him do this as this character who is kind of confused, especially after having to sit through, um, 50 shades, brah, 50 shades. shades. And then get to watch this and watch what he's doing here and watch what they're doing with their relationship. Um, yeah, it's a really, it's really, uh, and pleasurable scene to watch. Tom, did you stream Fifty Shades of Grey? Because you can learn a lot from watching a bad movie. Yeah, I knew that uh, there's, there is a limit when I say that. No, actually, to be honest, uh, I would be curious to see Fifty Shades of Grey. Um, yeah, thank you, Dingus. Um, 
because of who's the what's the what's Melanie Griffith's daughter's name? Uh, Dakota Johnston. Yeah, uh, because uh, I am curious to to sort of see her. Um, <laughs> like I've seen her in a couple movies where she's completely inconsequential, where they're, they're just doing nothing with her. So I'd like to see. You know, I've heard that she can kind of act, and I'd like to see that. I think you. I think you'll feel uh, generously toward her in this. Yeah, yeah. I think. I think that that she does fine, and I think that it's forgivable. Right, so I think. I think if you watch the movie, I think you'll feel good about her. Uh, and I do take a, a perverse pleasure in watching good-looking guys who are terrible at acting. Uh, it's yeah, kind of like, yeah, you might be hot, but boy, do you suck. Uh, yeah, exactly. Kelly Wand. You can just tell he's hating it, and somehow her hate's helping and his hate's detracting. I'm not sure. I can't, can't really explain why. Well, Kelly Wand, what is your favorite masturbation scene? This is something I've often wanted to know about you. <laughs> There's this movie called The Trouble with Lou, directed by CalArts alum uh, Teddy Newton, and it's about a guy named Lou. It's a black-and-white movie, and he loves masturbating. Like so much that he, when he masturbates, he masturbates to. He fantasizes about himself masturbating, and like um, he falls in love with this girl, and he stops because she likes to masturbate too. So that's how they kind of get together. Um, but when he's courting her early on, he uh, goes outside her window, and he's trying to get her attention, and so he takes eggs out of a bird's nest and he throws them at the window. See, he's breaking the eggs. See, it's a metaphor. Man, that's an obscure pick, Kelly Wand. Trouble with Trouble Lou. With Lou. Who, yeah. who, who famous is in it? No one. Huh, okay. Trouble with Lou. All right, yeah, let me write that down. I'll make sure to watch that after Fifty Shades of Grey. <sighs> uh, is this something that one of your buddies made, or this is a real movie? It's a real movie. Okay. That- Someone I don't really know that well made. But of all the stuff like that I went to, like, oh, it'll see fuck Wads movie. Like, that was the one that kind of stuck with me that was good. So I'm, I'm not surprised because I know we like to uh, sort of choose more obscure things and things that might have a point. Uh, and I'm, I'm sure our listeners will do some of the heavy lifting here. But uh, uh, no one picked Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Because that, to me, I think is kind of the quintessential. Iconic. Yeah, yeah, that's the iconic embarrassment of masturbation scene. And, yeah, yeah. yeah. I remember when Phoebe Cates was on Letterman and or someone was asking her about it. Like, did you feel cool about it? She's like, yeah, it was in character. And I always liked that she said that, like, because she's in a fantasy. So it's like in character for Judge Reinhold to be fantasizing about her. Is that what she meant? But, well, that's, that's not my number one pick either, though. Uh, my favorite masturbation scene for how utterly pathetic it is in a movie about six reprehensible people. Well... Maybe five. Five and a half. Snow White the Huntsman? My favorite masturbation scene is Jason Patrick in Your Friends and Neighbors, where he's he's (laughs) masturbating to uh, a tape of himself practicing lying to women about how much he loves them. Wow. Uh, And just the multiple layers of reprehensibleness in that one act. Uh, The recursiveness of what he's doing. The... uh, you know the, the fundamental duplicity and narcissism of it. Uh, I just found fascinating. Um, I so, really like that character. Yeah, yeah, uh, and that movie. I mean, that, that, I mean, yeah. Uh, yeah he just uh, Neil. Um, not Burger. That's the limitless guy. Le Butte. Le Butte. Thank you, God. Uh, Neil. Neil Le Butte. Yeah, and just that whole. 
you know that that as a tagline, as a statement for each of the characters, that whole you know, is it me? Uh, episode that everyone goes through at the end. Uh, and again, yeah, just a statement about too. narcissism. So uh, that is my number one favorite. Uh, let's then see what our listeners have to say. Um, let me just say that mm-hmm. Kelly was talking about somebody who needed to like was was just so amazed with his own masturbation. What was that? What was that movie that you were talking about? Oh, was it a uh, Broad City? Or no, the the, dr- the trouble the troubled Lou. He's just so fascinated with his own masturbation. Yeah. Uh, all that made me think about was Bokeem Woodbine in the big hit, who is so addicted to porn and he's constantly masturbating. But I don't think there's ever a scene of it, so I'm not I'm not ruining anything. But all that you made me think of was when you brought up that dude, the trouble with Lou, who is so fascinated with his own masturbation. It just made me think of that weird character Bokeem Woodbine playing in the big hit. Sorry to derail you, but go ahead, Tom. Go ahead. Well, but that that makes me think of uh, what's the name of the Joseph Gordon-Levitt thing. Uh, with Amber oh. Heard and Julianne Moore. Don John. Don John, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's not Amber Heard. That's uh, Scarlett no, Johansson. Mm, yeah. No, I don't it think is. so. No, you guys are right. It is Scarlett Johansson, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, but yeah, I didn't even think about that. He's masturbating the whole time. Yeah. Damn. It's a Scarlett Johansson movie. All right, well, Grant Stewart has chosen uh, his number three uh, for some... I'm not going to read this, Grant Stewart. Uh, what he calls it uh, is... You know what? I'm just going to quote. He calls it uh, his third best choice for some quote. I'm not saying this is a Grant Stewart, everyone. Bean flicking. Um, uh. His number three is Natalie Portman in Black Swan. It's a pretty sexy scene, he writes. And it's one of the first indicators we get that Portman is starting to exert some control over her personal life, her career, and her sexuality. <clears throat> Grant Stewart's number two pick uh, is We Own the Night. A thoroughly average movie, but the act of having a menage a in uh, is so often depicted in movies as either being the act of someone desperate, as in American Beauty, or for cheap laughs, like there's something about Mary or Fast Times at Ridgemont High. The scene is a confident Eva Mendez being as sexy as it gets. We own the night. Rightly or wrongly, Grant Stewart says, one of my enduring images of Philip Seymour Hoffman is of him making... Uh, partaking in some hand-to-gland combat uh. in The Master, or should that be The Master? Uh, I think he's trying to make a uh, masturbation pun. Uh, Grant, I'm not quite sure how to read that to make that work. I apologize. Uh, Hoffman is shot from behind, having a sneaky wank in the sink, but appears to be struggling to get there when his pregnant wife Amy Adams comes in and finishes him off with a matronly wristy and some words of encouragement. Wow, when you mentioned <laughs> Philip Seymour Hoffman, that's not where I thought we were going to go. Exactly, exactly. I think everyone remembers the scenes from Happiness. Yeah, I I didn't think about that until that moment. Yeah, yeah that's a great pick. That scene is, uh, is, is weirdly fascinating, Grant. Very good. Uh, Grant gives honorable mentions to Secretary, Shame, and Only God Forgives. Oh, Shame. Oh, and he also, thank you, Grant. Grant says, keep up the good work, gentlemen. Thank you, uh, Grant. And asks if there's any chance we could please keep the over-under feature. I'm a massive fan of that. Grant, I am as well. And I screwed up and skipped the over-under for oh, I Gunman. Do you want to borrow mine? No, uh, hold that thought. Uh, after the 3x3, three three, we will mention that before we go. But Grant, thank you for reminding. I didn't need to make a note. We should always do that. I love that feature as well. Yeah. So, yeah. 
right here over under. All right. Oh, shit. Okay. All right. Thank you, Grant. Yeah, Dingus, that'll give you some time. That's why I'm going to wait, because I have to think about it as well. Yeah, Jesus uh, crap. All right, good. Uh, Samuel Paulson's one pick is Interstellar, the whole damn thing. <gasps> Aaron Kane. Um, <laughs> Aaron, awesome. His I'm number so- three pick is Being There. Shirley MacLaine's desperate there. attempt to connect sexually with a man who has no experience connecting in any way with anyone. It's funny, squirm-erific, and oddly sweet. Since McLean's character at that moment is as much of a clueless innocent as Peter Sellers. Talk about that on a limb. Uh, number two <laughs> for Aaron Kane, your friends and neighbors. Mm. Uh, Aaron Eckhart's Barry takes Woody Allen's advice and has a little sex with someone he loves after another joyless interaction with his wife. Uh, uh, Who's he it. thinking about, Patrick? Is it me? Uh, and then Aaron points out how none of the characters ever say each other's names in the film, and then during the credits, you see that all of their names rhyme. Which is what? Uh, Mary, Barry, those are the two he mentions, but yeah, they all have these these weird little names like that. It's huh. kind of like Dingus when we watch the, credit, uh, the, uh, the credits after uh, The Rover, how outrageous it is to suddenly have Guy Pearce's name, Eric, appear on screen. Don't yeah. Hey, you know what else? That's, yeah. Tom, you know what other movie has people with rhyming names in it? The uh, Hobbit. Bilbo and Frodo, those don't rhyme. No, Gandalf's all rhyme. Philly and Killy and Balin and Dwalin, uh, all those fuckers. Well, it's that's part of dwarven nomenclature, Kelly Wand. Only in that movie, and then Lord of the Rings, it's not Gimli. Come on. Uh, and his brother Simli, and his father Dimly. Yep. <laughs> uh, Aaron Kane's number one pick, Mulholland Drive. Yes. Uh, after, the loss of, after the loss of her love, Naomi, Be- uh, Naomi Watts uh, is shown weeping intensely in close-up. A pan down reveals she is masturbating just as intensely. Is she trying to remember? Is she trying to forget? Aaron writes, I can't think of another cinematic depiction of one masturbation's least celebrated motivations. Momentary relief from desperate unhappiness. Yeah, and it's a hot girl doing it, and it's still depressing, which takes some real acting chops. Yeah. Uh, Chris Markinson, who, by the way, uh, well, I'll save this for next week. Uh, Dingus, by the way, uh, Chris Markinson has a gift for you, but we'll get to that next week, won't we? I guess uh, we will. In the movie Her, Joaquin Phoenix, a.k.a. Big Guy oh, 4x4, yeah, yeah, yeah. and Sexy Kitten are having a futuristic version of cyber sex, and he's picturing a very attractive and very pregnant woman. Everything seems to be going well. And he's seizing the moment right up until he's asked to choke Sexy Kitten with a dead cat. The look on his face as he's saying that he's strangling her with a dead cat is awesome. Is the, isn't, isn't the voice is it is the voice Kristen Wiig? Yeah, absolutely. Oh, man. oh by the way, that's another that's another I, I, I've been just terribly jonesing for some Chris Pratt. That's a way to get a fix, uh, a Chris Pratt fix uh, while waiting for uh, Jurassic World. Is Chris Pratt in her? I'm oh, you're right. Holy cats! I forgot. Yeah. Oh, I, I, I forgot. He's the he's the dude behind the desk. Oh, well, that's great. And that is literally the first time I had ever heard Chris Pratt speak because I hadn't watched Parks. Oh, I totally forgot that. Damn it. Uh, Chris's number two pick. Um, well, I'm glad you mentioned this movie. This movie deserves more attention. Uh, Chris writes in What We Do in the Shadows, 317 year old vampire Viago learns how to scan and print a picture of a woman that he loves. 
He fastens the picture to the lid of his coffin and then closes the lid. A few seconds later, the coffin lid starts to rhythmically open and shut. There are funnier and sexier scenes of masturbation in movies, but I like this one so much I wanted to include it. Chris, what is, what is that? Uh, what we do in the shadows is uh, um, uh, Jermaine Clement and Tain. I'm going to screw up his name. It's it's a guy who directed a movie called uh, Eagle and Shark. It's one of the actors from oh. uh, from Flight of the Concords. Oh, they're in. They're doing something now, actually. Well, that's out now. It uh, it had a limited theatrical release, oh, streaming okay. online. Uh, and it's a mockumentary about vampire roommates. Oh, so, all right. Yeah, that's what I heard. They were on a, a podcast talking about this. All right, go ahead. Uh, and it's very funny. It's quite good. Oh, uh, okay, I good. I recommend it. Yeah. Uh, and then Chris's number one pick. Um, he writes just one scoop of cream potatoes, one slice of butter, and four peas. Uh, Reciting what James Spader has told her to eat for dinner is the last little push needed to bring Maggie Gyllenhaal to orgasm as she masturbates in secretary. This scene mixes sexy and some humor when Jeremy Davies invades the fantasy for a moment. Oh, it's Jeremy Davies. That's right. Damn it. Uh, more importantly, he writes, I think it helps cement how Maggie Gyllenhaal's character is growing and changing. The rich man's Henry Thomas. Uh, <laughs> let's see. Dave Perkins, uh, who titles his email Jerkin, uh, just uh, simply gives us movie titles. He doesn't tell us why he likes the movies. Is that his contraction of his name, Dave Perkins Jerkin? I guess so. It would be a, yeah, it works. Uh, he picks her, a fish called Wanda, and Punch Drunk Love, and then does not elaborate any further. Wait, what? what? Punch Drunk Love masturbation? I don't know that. I know Barry calls the the sex line numbers, but is he ever no. actually in the act in the scenes? When he destroys the bathroom, does he destroy it with his penis? He does not. Oh. What was his second one? Uh, uh, Fish called Wanda. Actually, I lied. He does elaborate. He writes in parentheses, Jamie Lee rubbing on the banister as John Cleese speaks in Italian. Mm. Oh, okay. Uh, she's just getting ready, though. God, I wish he would have elaborated on Punch Drunk Love, because I can't remember. Is I guess it's what you're talking about, though. Uh, Nick D. Uh, chooses... Oh, I'm glad to hear this one. I'm glad people have seen this. The people Bobby- like this topic. Nick D. chooses as his number three pick, The Babadook. What better way to dramatize a mother's need for and inability to get some time to herself than having her child burst in on her while masturbating? And we should specify specify the burst in in on her while masturbating. It's not the child masturbating when you burst in on her. That would be awkward. It is both uncomfortable to watch and intensely private. She can get him back in a couple more years, though. And sets the tone for the rest of the film beautifully. Uh, his number two pick, Nick chooses the squid and the whale. The scene where Frank, the younger oh. brother, masturbates in the library drew groans of disgust and pity from the audience when I saw it in the theater. It was definitely memorable, and like many Noah Baumbach scenes, felt so wonderfully specific that I can't help but wonder if it was drawn from his own youth. That's right, because he rubs it along the books. Um, and then, yeah, and he gets busted for it too, which leads me to you know how yeah uh, you know how would the library well never mind okay uh, Nick D's number one pick adaptation just thinking about how, how Charlie Kaufman put not one but two scenes of himself masturbating in this movie makes me feel vicariously embarrassed for him I couldn't imagine a better way to portray the main character's pathetic self-loathing that's how I get started 
Uh, Josh, Black Swan. I like the scene where Natalie Portman masturbates as per sleazy French boss's orders and gets so into it she ends up rolling over and going cowgirl on her own hand. It was like that when I first started too, Josh writes. Okay. Number two. Wait a minute. Harry Potter and the Prisoners of Azkaban. What? What? Literally. In the first scene, we find Harry tinted up under the bed sheets, rolling dice like he just got home from Hermione's gymnastics recital. <laughs> what's Harry going on Palmer. right now? What, what's happening? The sheets, yeah. the sheets are then thrown off to reveal Harry fiercely gripping his glowing, glowing wand. All right. And then Josh writes, Osseo Kleenex. I'm guessing that's like a spell command or something. I've what really, see. He thinks we've seen the movie. We know the real oh. version. Yeah. Uh, and then he doesn't elaborate, but he writes uh, the Exorcist. Oh, oh, that's a good one. Oh, that's not real masturbation though. She's just trying to make a point. I'll say. Yeah, somebody's making a point. Uh, all right, runners up. Uh, my runner-up would be, uh, and the, it, uh, this was excluded because I wanted to go with women, um, and this one was is a real downer. Did, have you guys seen the movie World's Greatest Dad? No, I want no. to. Wait, maybe it's Dad of the Year. Jeez, I can't know. It's like, no, it is World's Greatest Dad. The Bobcat Goldthwait thing with Robin Williams? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I think it's I'm pretty sure it's World's Greatest Dad. Yeah, you're right. Um, have you guys seen that? No, I want to, though. All right. Go ahead, ruin it for me. There's a no, message uh, scene in there. No, I'm not going to ruin it for you. I, I think you should watch it at some point. So uh, I'll just leave it out there. All right. Uh, the one from my top ten that you guys haven't seen, there's a movie called Whitewash with Thomas Hayden Church. Get it? That features – no, it's not what it's a reference to. Uh, that features um, <laughs> uh, an aborted masturbation attempt where he's just not into it, and he's just like, never mind. And it's, it's just vintage Thomas Hayden Church. Oh, well, that makes me think of Death Valley. What's Death Valley, Dingus? Why don't you explain to the listeners uh, Death Valley from your, one of your favorite directors? Who's my favorite director, Tom? Well, the director of uh, Fifty Shades of Grey. I think her name is Samuel Taylor Johnson. It's one of her earlier works that you've also is Mark Twain. Uh, it stars uh, an actor named Chris Rains. Um, and it's in this uh, series of movies called Destricted, uh, which are about sex. Um, and Gaspar Noe has uh, one of the movies in this, and this is this dude Chris Rains walks out into Death Valley, uh, just walks, it, you know, from the distance into the camera, and then uh, goes down on a tripod, and I mean tripod is in you know knee knee hand, and then starts to work on himself there in Death Valley out in the desert uh, to see if he can uh, get a little action going. The short is actually called Death Valley. Thing, yeah, it? it is called Death Valley. Yeah, and very much like uh, Alfred Hitchcock's Rope, it's all one shot. It is one shot, but Get there it. is there is no one shot actually, as it happens. True, that's true. So you sit there, and we're you know we saw this at Sundance. This is one of the midnight features, and um, and it's a bunch of short films about sexuality that famous directors or directors are interpreting about sexuality, and this guy is just. We're sitting there watching this guy. It's very explicit. All of the all of the movies are very explicit. Uh, the dude is just masturbating and masturbating and masturbating, and it's just not happening. <laughs> and you just feel the the theater starting to giggle and then starting to titter and starting to laugh. 
And then finally he gets up and walks away. Yeah, it just doesn't work out for him. It just and doesn't you, work out. Yeah, you shoot something like that, and then you go on to make uh, to direct Fifty Shades of Grey. There That's you go. Great career opener. Uh, Dingus, you mentioned this earlier in the week, and uh, the, you know there's a, a rather f- infamous scene in The Piano Teacher, a Michael Haneke movie with Isabella Huppert. Uh, what if I were to say the words "Get off the babysitter"? Oh, Joel. Also, a, a famous masturbation scene from Risky Business. Oh, and Charlie's Angels, Full Throttle. What? What's the scene in that? That's what Lucy Luce. It's her opening line of the movie. So that's her code phrase. Oh, it is okay. But there's no masturbation in that, as far as I. Also, know. Human Centipede too. What's the scene in that? Also, Shaft. You're just saying lines now. You're just saying. <laughs> no. What? That's not something I do. Uh, what's the scene in uh, Human Centipede? Tell us about that. Uh, I think he's he's stroking the dolphin to the first Human Centipede. That oh god, that, that does sound sets like... in motion, and then it all winds up being a fantasy. So the, that movie's a fantasy. It does sound like something that yeah would be in Human Centipede too, doesn't it? Kelly, one, do you Our recommend wire. that people? Kelly, one, do you recommend that people see that movie? Mm, just turn it off. Once he makes the centipede, because then it kind of goes downhill. But then you don't know the ending, which you kind of gave away for everyone. So. Yeah, but it's not a real ending. you got to turn off some movies before they end. Like Mac and Me, you should always turn it off when the store blows up and the kid with the wheelchair looks like he's dead. And um, <laughs> Kelly Wan's When You Should Turn Off a Movie podcast. Fifteen minutes early. There's some movies that are perfect. Prometheus. Uh, we do have a friend who's actually been on the podcast with us for Beasts of the Southern Wilds who maintains that uh, every movie should end 15 minutes earlier than it does. In at, that least, at least American movies, yeah. Yeah, yeah, just that, you know, just cut off the last 15 minutes and the movie will be better. That's what our friend Bruce Garrick says. James Bond movies? Uh, if they're American, yeah. Empire uh, Strikes Back. By the way, one of the uh, things that I uh, was disappointed about the new James Bond movie, I think it's called Spectre, uh, Sam Mendes is coming back to do it. Uh, uh. Roger Deakins will not be shooting it. And one of the mm-hmm. amazing things about Skyfall was Roger Deakins' cinematography. Yeah. Yeah. But you know who is shooting it? A fellow named Hoyt Van Hoytema, who was the, the cinematographer for Interstellar and Her. So uh, I'm... I, I'm back to being enthusiastic about Spectre, even though Roger Deakins isn't the DP. All right, we can do that. Good. Man will save us, Tom. What is that? It's a line from your favorite movie. Anne Hathaway says it. Oh, man is in Dr. Man, not as in Mankind. You have to say it. You have to say man. Yeah, you have to draw the N out, Kelly Wand. Man will save us. Exactly. That's how she said it. Man will save USA. Uh, Dingus, give us a three by three for next week. What, what should we talk about next week for the second half of the podcast? Uh, should we do the over oh, under yeah, first? Yeah, over under, yeah. Uh, for the gunmen, what are your overs and unders? I have mine. Yeah, go ahead. Sorry, go ahead. So I'm, I'm gonna, I've got to think of mine while you guys talk. Go ahead. All right, my overs Hotel Rwanda because that's like a movie about a political issue that uh, where I gave a shit about the characters. Mm-hmm. And then my under's green zone. <laughs> so movies that are political and whether or not you care about the characters. Okay, good. Well, or where 
It's a, supposed to be a suspense movie because I think the gun was supposed to make me go, "Oh shit, what's gonna happen? Fuck!" But Hotel Rwanda did kind of make me do that, mm-hmm. even though I think I was supposed to know it. But Green Zone didn't make me do that. See what I'm saying? Also, the masturbation scene from Green Zone. Okay, I'm done. All right, Stingus, you're next. I'm still trying to think of my under. Oh. All right, so my over would be a movie called that we watch for the podcast called The Losers. Do you guys remember that movie? <laughs> that's Wait, it, that's yeah. your over? Oh, it, yeah. has, it has Idris Elba. It's a movie that doesn't waste Idris Elba. Absolutely. It has Idris Elba. Uh, it, uh, it has awesome shooting. Um, uh, all I could think so, of was how great the... Uh, the actual sort of pseudo political stuff and the shooting is in it. Um, I like. Uh, also, I love Jeffrey D. Morgan in it. I, yeah, I love that guy so much. And Chris Evans, he's freaking hilarious in that. In that, that, in that fake sniper like gun, the like, finger gun thing. Oh man, I love. I mean, as much as I hated the way the losers uh, portrayed the political aspects of it, it's so much better than the gunman. Uh, and so for my under, uh, my under would be a movie that I just could not stand. I know a lot of people really liked it, but I really hated the movie Lord of War. What? And Lord so, of War? Yeah, Lord of War. Lord of War. It's, it's, a, an, it's, a, it's actually a biopic, believe it or not. It is a biopic. Well, yeah, I mean, it's, not about someone famous, but it's this guy's actual true life story. Yeah, it right. Makes it a biopic. Is it recent? No, it's not. Well, it, recent. It's it's two thousand five or something. It's Andrew. It's an Andrew Nichol movie, but it's um, uh, Nicholas Cage is in it and uh, Ethan Hawke, okay. and I just I really really hated it. Uh, I just hated the way it pretended to be about this real deep political themes. Um, the I mean the opening sequence is pretty thrilling, but. Other than that, I don't think there's much there. I, I think it's a real mess. So I would put Lord of War under um, the gunman and the losers over the gunman. Man, I can't think of a good under. I mean, I, I can think of plenty of crappy yeah. action movies, but... All right, here's what I'm doing. Because for me, what I'm trying to do is I want to bracket closely. Like, I was tempted to say... Ah, con- very good. I was tempted to say Constant Gardener, um, as far as like, yeah. a movie about issues in Africa. But Constant Gardener is so far and away better than... Uh, like, it's totally out of the league of... Uh, the gunman. It's got nothing to do with it. Like it's miles and away better. So instead, what I'm doing for my over, this is an action movie set in Africa that tries to address political uh, issues and fails. But at least the actor in this uh, has a sense of energy, and there's some charm to it. It's kind of interesting watching him in this. So my over is the Gerard Butler movie Machine Gun Preacher. That's your over. Yeah, slightly better than the gunman. I don't, I don't care for it that much. No, no, I agree with you. I think that that's a good, that's a good choice. I mean, I remember watching that because we get, uh, or I got the um, screener for it, and I, I kind of liked a little bit of it because I like Gerard Butler so much. But then for the under, I don't. I mean, Dingus, I might just steal Lord of War from you. You're welcome to. <laughs> yeah. So then for my under, uh, Lord of War. Although I, you know, it was it was pleasant. You know, Lord of War is kind of terrible. It was pleasant seeing uh, Ethan Hawke show up as kind of a. a you know, he, he, Ethan Hawke's a pretty cool-looking guy. So you're watching this crappy movie, and he shows up as this cool. I, I think he might even be like an Interpol agent or something. Oh, is he? Isn't he like an Interpol agent? So he's uh, like the. Isn't Idris Elba an Interpol agent? Yeah, yeah. So Idris Elba is the Interpol agent and the gunman. Uh, All right. Yeah. And, I, and you know what? Actually, I think Ethan Hawke's like a DEA agent or something like that. All right. Um, yeah. So there's my over/under. Yeah. Dennis how Rodman's weird is Interpol? How weird is it that? 
Ethan Hawke is just perpetually welcome. You know, whenever he shows up in something, I'm like, I'm so happy to see you. Yeah, you guys should see a, a little sci-fi uh, mind-bender puzzle movie called Predestination. Which oh, has, I keep meaning to see that. Damn it. Yeah, there's some really good Ethan Hawke in it, and there's a fantastic performance from an actress named Sarah Snook. Oh, what a cool name. Yeah, yeah. awesome name, and you will definitely remember her. She's been in a bunch of like low-budget horror movies, but you'll be- definitely remember her after Predestination. Hmm. All right, so uh, Dingus, in addition to next week's 3x3, why don't you also then uh, tell folks what we're seeing next week? All right, uh, so uh, – oh, what we're seeing next week. Both, me- yeah, give us both, yeah. <laughs> but you do the 3x3 three three first, don't you? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Uh, I, no, I'll, I will happily start with the three by three first. I don't care. Um, so first of all, you do care. Why do I just? I don't care which order you do. All right, I'm going to tell you what we're starting with with, with the three by three while we're young. Let me just start with the three by three. So um, the three by three was suggested by my son. Uh, we watched, and I'm glad Tom brought up Chris Pratt um, a few minutes ago because uh, my son had to stay home sick. And from school today, and he was sick yes the day before, and so we happened to sit around and watch Guardians of the Galaxy, and uh, this moment happens at the beginning where uh, Peter Quill is having some sort of a I don't know a conflict with Jamin Hansu, and uh, Jamin Hansu's character blows a hole in the wall. Peter Quill's Star Lord shoots out of that, and then just lands totally roughly on the ground, just bam, 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 bam. And so my son, who's aware that I was trying to come up with 3 by 3 stuff, is like, hey, how are your favorite landings? And I was like, awesome. All right, cool. So so obviously I'm, I'm burning the one that he came up with that he liked most of all, is that it was Peter Quill, like his, his, his jet boots, shooting him out of that hole and then landing on the ground before he runs over to his spaceship. So your three favorite landings. I'm thinking mainly, from my point of view, I'm thinking people landing on things or on the ground. Um, but if you want to use like ships or whatnot, that's fine. Um, so your three favorite landings. I like that. Good. Okay. It's like a good sequel to Tom's Three Horrific Falls. Yeah, it really is. And and I when I was looking through our list, uh, I was like, have we done anything like this? Um, and oh. And Horrific Falls kind of comes close, but I'm going ahead no, with no, landings because I've got a couple others that I really, really like. Yeah. All right, so for next week, uh, we're going to... Tell folks how they can uh, send in their picks. Uh, very good. So uh, what we'd like is that, is, that, is that our listeners come up with their 3x3s, and you can send them into our email address here at 3x3. Uh, so it's 3x3. It's the number 3, the letter X, the number 3, at quarter to three spelled out quarter to three dot com and send them into us and we will read them online and uh, we will read them on the air as we do other podcasts we would love to have your uh your uh additions to this three by three topic please oh and so for next week's show uh and do please join us for next week's show uh we will be seeing a movie called while we're young why are we seeing that well there's a couple reasons we're seeing it. One of the reasons we're seeing it is it comes from a, something called A24 uh, that has a huge presence in all three of our top ten lists from last year. Uh, but also, it's a Noah Baumbach movie, and we're always on board to see those. Oh, they made they came together. 
Uh, they did distribute. They actually don't make movies. They distribute movies. This is a small distribute, distributor in New you. York that, that does indie films such as Spectacular Now. Hmm. <sighs> as Billy Bob Thornton said in Bad Santa, they can't all be goddamn winners. Hmm. <laughs> Uh, so join us for that uh, as soon as your 3x3 three three picks. Uh, and uh, just real briefly, uh, some of you have been sending. I didn't read the entire bodies of the email, but I really appreciate the welcomes back, uh, the encouraging words in the comment section. Uh, thank all of you for that very much. I I just appreciate appreciate the encouragement, even if I don't read it on the air. So thank you. Oh, uh, I meant to send you one. Sorry. Uh, yeah, well, Kelly, why don't you have my email address uh, so you can send me your words of encouragement as well. I would love to hear them. Uh, and uh, I am Tom Chick. I've been joined by uh, Christian Moransky. Uh, it's Christian Moransky. And we had Kelly Wand. Hey, Tom, did you see Chappie? I know better than that. If only you could love a soft one. Wait, which masturbation is that from?